The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org.
morning, everyone, and welcome to our city commission meeting tonight. I want to give a special welcome to Troop 290, uh, who are here with us tonight to uh, be a part of our city commission meeting, so welcome. Uh, also, we have a group of social work students from Calvin. Appreciate you being here tonight as well. Um, everyone else, welcome as well. Uh, we have a full agenda tonight, so we're gonna, I'm going to call the meeting to order. Uh, what I'd like to do is start with a moment of silence before moving to Pledge of Allegiance. Then we'll go to roll call, and I'll walk you through our public comment period. We do have a number of scheduled public hearings tonight, and I'll make sure you know about those uh, before we get to those. Uh, so if you would join me for a moment of silence. Thank you. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Next, we will have roll call. Commissioner Knight. <clears throat> Present. Commissioner Robbins. Present. Commissioner Moody. Present. Commissioner Purdue. Present. Commissioner Sassi? Present. Commissioner O'Connor? Present. Mayor Bliss? Yes. Uh, so before I introduce the translator, I just want to walk you through a couple things. Um, we have a number of opportunities for public comment tonight. The first one is public comment specifically to action items. So earlier today, this body had a number of standing committee meetings where we talked about and voted on issues. Uh, so the first opportunity for public comment is really specific to those action items. Uh, we do have four scheduled public hearings tonight, and I'll let you know what those are because if you are here to be heard on one of these items, I'm going to ask you to stay put until we open up those public hearings for public comment. And then, then at the end of the night, we have uh, public comment on any other issues. So tonight we have four scheduled public hearings. Uh, one is considering the commemorative designation of 33rd Street from Eastern Avenue uh, to about 1,300 feet east uh, as Bishop Dennis McMurray Way. Uh, secondly, we have a public hearing for 2023 uh, MDNR Trust Fund Grant. Uh, this is an application to do some work at Highland Park. Uh, the next one is a scheduled public hearing to consider a revised Brownfield Plan Amendment uh, for a project located at 220 Quimby. And then our last scheduled public hearing is a public hearing considering amendments to Chapter 140, Title 8 of the City Code. So this is our property maintenance code. Uh, so if you are here to be heard on any of those items, I'm going to ask you to just wait until we open up those public comments. Uh, we'll have a staff person come up and speak to that, and then I'll open it up for public, the public hearing and the public comments after that. Uh, so with that, I will turn to our translator. Um, if you need assistance with translation services, please let us know. Good evening. My name is Yuvia. We are pleased to provide Spanish interpretation services this evening. This includes interpretation during the meeting and for those who want to provide public comment. Um, buenas noches, me llamo Yuvia. Estamos complacidos de proveer servicios de interpretación en español esta noche. Esto incluye interpretación durante la reunión y para aquellos que quieran proveer comentario público. Thank you. All right, so that will take us to our first opportunity for public comment. And again, this is on agenda items. Um, so for this public comment, a couple things. We ask that you come forward, come to the microphone up here that you share your name, the city that you live in. You'll be given up to three minutes to speak. And for this item, we ask that you be really explicit about what agenda item you're speaking to. So if it's community development three or committee of the whole two, please be explicit about that. And then I also uh, just want to remind everyone, especially if this is your first meeting here with us tonight, that for public comment, uh, 
Uh, we do have a number of rules and expectations that we have in order to make sure that people who speak can be heard and not interrupted or feel intimidated by the comments, even if we don't agree with them. Uh, so we ask that you refrain from a number of things. We ask that you refrain from clapping or cheering or booing or using profanity, vulgar language, threats, name calling or making derogatory comments. Um, so with that, I'll open up the first opportunity for public comment. Again, this is explicit to agenda items. Good evening, Mayor and Commissioners. Daniel Scutt, resident of Grand Rapids for about 45 years. I'd like to speak to um, agenda number nine, uh, D1. Resolution to approve the request for a temporary authorization for Hopcat for the Irish on Ionia 10th anniversary event. The Holy Scriptures pronounce, Woe to him who gives his neighbor drink, who puts your bottle to him and makes him drunk, that you may look on his nakedness, you will be filled with disgrace rather than honor. Now you yourself drink and expose your own nakedness. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter disgrace will come upon you. Again, I've uh, been ministering for Christ in the inner city of Grand Rapids for almost 45 years, Heartside neighborhood especially. And if you just take a walk in Heartside neighborhood or on the west side where I live, you see the devastation that comes to our city through the availability of strong drink, alcohol. To have a whole section of the city blocked off so people can get drunk it's only a disgrace to our city. And I see the devastation, again, for 45 years working in the inner, living, in, living and working in the inner city, serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It's uh, number the, one of the number one causes of homelessness. I see it every day. It's a path to other addictions and struggles, drug abuse, etc., violence. Assaults, family breakups, I see it all the time. And more often than not, it starts with alcohol. I would like to voice my opposition. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Mr. Scott. Uh, anyone else who wants to speak on agenda items? Yeah, fine. I'll do it. Lucas First Ward, same item. I think the pearl clutchers don't like when we drink because it makes us more willing to be honest about them and their disguised agendas of evil hidden behind scripture. I uh, greatly bristle when people assume that anyone who tips a drink is automatically in the business of getting sloppy, stupid, drunk. Now that said, I certainly caution this city against some of the things that we dealt with back home in Nash Vegas. There is a limit. Pretty soon you'll find all those laws we've been talking about downtown don't apply to the unhoused. They apply to some foolish bros. But 
I just can't sit here and continue to not offer a rebuttal when this particular podium is used more for a church than a civic space. It's a ludicrous notion that most of these people with the problems that were referenced are going to go to a festival organized of this fashion. So opposing this particular permitted action based on the presented case from the Looney Squad is really not. Let's not call names. Not going to be valid in this consideration. This is a business decision, and uh, some of us moved to Beer City on purpose because of its name, and we happen to like being able to partake of the craft that uh, many good people here produce, including Mr. O'Connor, who I'm excited to be able to do business with again. <laughs> so anyway, let's try to, uh, I'll find a nicer way to say it, let's try to ignore the spin and the false rhetoric, and uh, maybe if we turn some water into wine, we can get him to take a sip. All right, thank you. All right, I'm going to close the public comment on agenda items, and that's going to take us to approval of our minutes. So, commissioners, can I get a motion to approve the minutes from our last meeting, which occurred on February 7th? So moved. All right, moved and supported. Commissioners, any questions or comments? All right, all those in favor say aye. Aye. Those opposed? It carries. All right, next that will take us to petitions and communications, and we have a number before us tonight. The first one is a communication received from Jimmy Arizola regarding the Landlord-Tenant Association in Section 8. That is received and filed. Communication received from Scott Atchison expressing support for a golf driving range at Highland Park. That's received and filed. Communication from Christian Grant regarding their resignation from the Smart Zone Local Redevelopment Authority. And that is referred to Committee on Appointments. Communications from Micah Perkins regarding their resignation from the Economic Devo Development Corporation and Brownfield Redevelopment Authority. That is referred to Committee on Appointments. Communication received from Kevin Wright expressing opposition for the proposed addition to lead paint testing for the property maintenance code. That is received and filed. Communication received from McShane and Bowie requesting an independent parking study prior to a decision being made on the proposed development at 2160 Celebration Drive Northeast. All right, that's received and filed. And then finally, a communication received from Annette Vandenberg in Chai Benedict West Grand Neighborhood Association with suggested language for the property maintenance code. And that is also received and filed. Uh, and commissioners, the add-ons you should have received in your packet as well. Uh, all right, that will take us to reports of city officers. We have two items before us tonight. First one is a treasurer's report for the period of January 21, 2023 through February 7, 2023. That's received and filed. And the comptroller's report for the period of January 25, 2023 through February 7, 2023 in the amount of $21,086,286.35. And that is also received and filed. All right, next that will take us to our consent agenda. And our consent agenda are items that we voted on earlier today in one of our standing committee meetings where there was a unanimous vote. So tonight, with one voice vote, we'll adopt those items. Uh, commissioners, can I get a motion for the consent agenda? So moved. Support. All right, moved and supported. Commissioners, any additional questions or comments? All right, all those in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed? It carries. All right, that will take us to ordinances, and we have two ordinances before us tonight. The first ordinance is an ordinance to amend section 5.8.05 floodplain overlay district OD-FP of chapter 61 zoning ordinance in compliance with national flood insurance program NFIP regulations. All right, can I get a motion? So moved. Support. Mm -hmm. All right, moved and supported. Uh, Commissioner Moody, you want to tell us about this? Yes, ma'am, Madam Mayor. On uh, February the 7th of this month, the city commission established that on the 21st, as the date is considered today, to consider the amendment to zoning section 
5.05, which is the floodplain overlay district, to be in compliance with the National Flood Insurance Program regulations. The city, in, in connection with its legal counsel in the Michigan Department of Environment, which is Great Lakes and in the, in, in the Energy, uh, has prepared an amendment uh, to the city code that will bring the city into compliances with its current federal requirements necessary to be in compliances with the National uh, Flood Program. Right, There's a whole you. lot that goes with but this, it, but we'll, we'll be is. here all day recounting this. <laughs> you did a nice summary, Commissioner. It's a complicated issue that we've been talking about, talking about a number of times. So, uh, Commissioners, any questions or comments? This will get us uh, in compliance with federal regulation. I think that's yeah. the most important thing. Yep. Uh, all right, there's a roll call vote tonight. Commissioner Knight? Yes. Commissioner O'Connor? Yes. Commissioner Moody? Yes. Commissioner Sassi? Yes. Commissioner Robbins? Yes. Commissioner Purdue? Yes. And Mayor Bliss? Yes, it carries. And commissioners, can I get a motion to give it immediate effect? So moved. Support. All right, moved and supported. All those in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed? It carries. All right, next up will take us to our second ordinance to be adopted tonight. This is an ordinance amending section one of the budget ordinance 2022-13 for fiscal year 2023, amendment number 11. All right, can I get a motion? So moved. Support. Support. Moved and supported. Uh, Commissioner O'Connor from our fiscal committee, you want to tell us about this item? Yes, thank you, Mayor. Uh, four items tonight uh, on our uh, uh, item here. First item is uh, fire department uh, is just receiving a, a, a 2020 FEMA grant. Uh, this is a wrap up from some COVID uh, funding that was available as a supplemental grant uh, that helped cover the cost of some uh, personal protective equipment, uh, just over $11,000. Uh, item two is from our engineering department. It's just a replacement of a lift station, uh, the Kingsbury lift station, uh, which is critical to uh, the in one of our partner communities in Walker um, to uh, helping with the sewer. Uh, item three, uh, one that I'm personally uh, very excited to see, uh, is just a, an allocation to our budget stabilization fund. Uh, we have a, a city commission um, policy that we'd like to keep 10% uh, into the budget stabilization fund, so this will get us to our uh, commission policy fund balance. And item four is an, uh, from the executive office, and it's a $16,000 uh, spend to um, cover the cost of an evaluation service for the participatory budgeting. All right, thank you. Uh, commissioners, any questions or comments? All right, this is also a roll call vote tonight. Commissioner O'Connor? Yes. Commissioner Moody? Yes. Commissioner Asasi? Yes. Commissioner Robbins? Yes. Commissioner Purdue? Yes. Commissioner Knight? Yes. Mayor Bliss? Yes. And commissioners, can I get a motion to give this immediate effect? So moved. All right, moved and supported. All those in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed? It carries. All right, that will uh, take us to our scheduled public hearings. And uh, so we're going to start the evening uh, with our first scheduled public hearing. And this is a public hearing considering the commemorative designation of 33rd Street from Eastern Avenue to 1317 feet east of Eastern Avenue as Bishop Dennis J. McMurray Way. Um, so what we'll do tonight is we'll have our city engineer, Mr. Berkman, tell us about this item. And then if you're here uh, to be heard on this item, I'll invite you up uh, to speak after that. Um, many of us in this community knew Bishop McMurray. And so um, tonight, as we continue to miss him and his presence, uh, we get to have this opportunity to honor him in a really special way. So, Mr. Berkman. 
All right, thank you, Mayor, and good evening, Commissioners, City Manager, City Attorney. Just want to uh, explain a little bit about the process and what's involved with the commemorative street designation and uh, explain the request that is before you tonight uh, and the subject of this public hearing actually tonight. So we did receive a request through the engineering department for our, from Renaissance Church of God in Christ to commemoratively designate a portion of 33rd Street as Bishop Dennis J. McMurray Way. Um, as you know, Ms. Um, Bishop McMurray passed away in November of 2022, and the request we received noted that this uh, commemorative designation in his honor would serve as a lasting testament to his legacy and commitment to improving the lives of those in our community. So the segment that we're discussing in particular is of 33rd um, from Eastern Avenue East, approximately 1,300 feet, uh, which would lead to the entrance of the church's campus. The request uh, is, is being circulated to city departments in accordance with the um, city commission's policy on renaming streets. Again, though, this is a commemorative designation, so the original name would remain um, in place um, for all other, all other purposes. Also, per the policy, all 26 properties directly abutting this portion of 33rd Street did receive notice of this public hearing, and notification of the hearing was uh, published in the paper on February 12th. So with that, happy to answer any questions, but we will be here to take notes on the hearing itself. All right. Thank you, Mr. Berkman. Uh, first, let me see if my colleagues have any questions, and then if you are here tonight to be heard on this item, I'll invite you up. Uh, again, we'll ask you to share your name, uh, the city that you live in, and we'll give you up to three minutes to speak. Uh, Commissioners, any questions for Mr. Berkman? Go ahead. Mr. Berkman, would you just give the, uh, the, according to our policy, what's the, in order to ask for a street name change to happen, what are the, you know, there's some underlying factors uh, for who can be considered to have a street name change. I think that's an important right. note. Right, so first of all, it must be somebody who is deceased, um, somebody who has had a notable impact on the community. It must be a name that doesn't conflict with another street name out there that might create confusion. Um, and those, uh, I believe, are the, the main principles off the top of my head. Thanks, sir. Yep. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Moody? Uh, Madam Mayor, I think John was really asking the same thing I was going to ask, but I think that's important that uh, the community knows that this is an honor for the streets to be named after Bishop Dennis J. McMurray. And it's not taken away from any of the other streets or even that street personally itself. As you said, this is a commemorative name and it's worthwhile to, for his name to be on that street. Thank you, Commissioner. All right, thank you. Uh, so if you are here tonight to be heard on this scheduled public hearing, I welcome you to come up. Again, we ask that you come to the podium, that you share the, your name, the city that you live in, and you'll be given up to three minutes to speak. So if you are here to be heard on this uh, request for the commemorative designation, is anyone here tonight to be heard? Hello, Pastor. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, Mayor. Everyone, thank you all again uh, for this opportunity to uh, consider this commemorative designation. Again, my name is Paris McMurray. I'm the senior pastor of Renaissance Church. And tonight we have the privilege of having uh, some, a few of our members, uh, some of our founding members, some of our board members uh, present tonight in the room. And we just wanted to show you all, show this body um, in a physical submission 
of this request, uh, that we are here and we stand in full support uh, of this request that has been made to the city. Thank you to the city engineers for, uh, for making uh, those comments and informing us again of what it means and, and the honor to have someone be named or have a street be commemoratively designated. I can say as Bishop Dennis McMurray's son that I feel, definitely feel uh, that legacy um, on him and on me. I can truly say on behalf of the Renaissance Church that we feel currently, will continue to feel and have felt for the last 30 years uh, that legacy and that honor that has been placed on us as well. Um, and in addition to that, the reason that we want to do this is to ensure that not only does his legacy continue forward for us, but that, the, but that his legacy continues forward for the city of Grand Rapids. Although he is a native from Muskegon Heights, Michigan, he said that very proudly. He is a love, he loves and dearly and is dearly indebted to the city of Grand Rapids. This is where uh, a portion of his professional uh, uh, parochial career has started, and we are excited that we get to continue that legacy forward. And this is just a small piece of us honoring his legacy and honoring what he has done for the city of Grand Rapids, for the state of Michigan, for the United States as a whole. And again, we say that as humbly as we can, but we do recognize and understand the impact that has been made. Uh, he had a um, a designation in his mind. He had, a, he had a heart for people. And one of his statements was always, it is my responsibility not to build a church, but it's to build people. And every single thing that he did, he made sure that he built people. He tried to help people understand and recognize who they were, who they were created to be. He tried to help men be the best men that he could be, tried to help women be the best women he could be, tried to help children and youth be the best children and youth that they could be and see the reflection that God created them to be. So this street name is a street name for sure, but this is also an opportunity for us to continue that legacy forward, not only as a Renaissance church, but as members of this great community so that we can continue to honor the life and legacy of Bishop Dennis J. McMurray. Thank you for this time. Thank you. And, and before the next person comes up, I'll just give, give those of you who are here tonight who are part of the family of the Renaissance Church who are here to show your support for this commemoration. If you want to stand just so this body can, can uh, see you and recognize you, you're welcome to do that. All right. Thank you. Thank you all so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being here. All right, others who wish to be heard on this commemoration? Mark from Grand Rapids. I too support this commemorative designation. Although I am not a member of Renaissance Church of God of Christ, Bishop McMurray was, a, was an honorable man of the community and a great icon of the community. And this commemorative designation to serve his legacy for years to come. And on behalf of the members of Renaissance Church, I support you. Mr. Bishop McMurray, community in his image and I know his son will carry on that image and that legacy in the future right now now and into the future 
So once again, this commemorative designation is the right thing for the community, the city, and West Michigan. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. All right, anyone else who wishes to be heard on this item? All right, I will go ahead and close that scheduled public hearing, and this will be referred back to our Community Development Committee, uh, and a final decision will be made uh, next month. That will take us to our second scheduled public hearing. This is a public hearing for the 2023 Michigan Natural Resources Trust Fund grant application in the amount of $300,000 for the Highland Park project, which has an estimated cost of $605,000. So again, I'll have our staff from our Parks Department tell us about this item. I'll turn to my colleagues up here to see if they have questions. And then if you are here tonight to be heard on this item, I'll invite you up to speak. So, hi. Hello, Mayor and Commissioners. Laura Claypool from the Parks Department. Uh, tonight's public hearing is for a proposed grant application to the State of Michigan Department of Natural Resources for $300,000 for improvements at Highland Park. Uh, those improvements would include a new ADA accessible restroom facility, um, new paved park pathways, a new picnic shelter, and um, other amenities. As a reminder, those grant applications are due every year by April 1st, and we usually hear back uh, the ruling from the board by mid-December. Um, uh, these are very important grants as we have been able to um, very successfully leverage our parks millage dollars um, to take the investments in the park system um, one step further. So take any questions you may have. All right. Thank you, Ms. Claypool. Uh, commissioners, any questions? All right. Thank you. Okay. Uh, so if you are here tonight to be heard on this uh, trust fund grant application, now's an opportunity to come forward. Again, we ask that you share your name, the city that you live in, and you'll be given up to three minutes to speak. Uh, so is there anyone here who wishes to be heard on this trust fund grant application? All right, seeing none, I'll close that public hearing, and that will be referred to our Community, community Development Committee. Uh, next, that will take us to our third scheduled public hearing. This is a public hearing to consider a revised Brownfield Plan Amendment for the Talbot Quimby LLC redevelopment project, and this is located at 220 Quimby Street Northeast, um, over in the Creston neighborhood uh, in the North Quarter uh, SID area. So we'll start tonight uh, with Mr. Gracia, our Economic Development Director. I know that we have a couple folks from the development team who are also here to share some additional information. Uh, I'll turn to my colleagues, see if they have any questions, and then if you are here tonight to be heard on this item, I'll open it up for comment after that. Uh, Commissioner? I just want to say thank you um, um, for reaching out and having this conversation. Obviously, we had this at Brownfield, but then also the developer has reached out to us as well. And so um, just glad to be at this next step and um, excited to hear more uh, updates about the project. Yeah, thank you, Commissioner. It's a key corner uh, on Plainfield that uh, I know a lot of neighbors have been excited to see something happen at for quite some time. So, yep. Mr. Gracia? Yes, yeah, so uh, good evening, Commissioners and uh, Mayor. So this is, again, a public hearing for this revised Brownfield Plan Amendment and Neighborhood Enterprise Zone for this project located at 220 Quimby Street Northeast. Again, this is currently a vacant site, um, and the total project cost is about $13.2 million and basically result in a, a new four-story structure um, with market-rate apartments and 1,000 square feet of commercial space. So again, we're going to have 72 market-rate apartments, 49 of those will be studios, 21 bedrooms, and three two-bedroom uh, units. And these units are uh, coming in at uh, below 120% AMI, and again, that <laughs> retail space 
um, being on that first floor. Estimated uh, of projected of five new jobs uh, with average wages of $18 per hour. And again, uh, construction cost of 9.7, but total overall $13.2 million. As we do with all our programs. Uh, we we ask all of the developers to submit an inclusion plan and commitments and this um, uh, project has done so and you can see uh, pre uh, presented a um, roughly 10% or $968,000 for MBE, WBE and, or MLBE participation in the construction. Again, also uh, in addition to the Brownfield, it does have the 15-year enterprise, enterprise zone, neighborhood enterprise zone related to uh, creating uh, new housing units that have represent less than 20% of the existing stock in the area and also um, adding a covered bus shelter near the site. In total, it's uh, about $648,000 in brownfield eligible activities including environmental assessments, demolition, site preparation, due care, vapor mitigation, and public uh, infrastructure improvements <coughs> that were reimbursed over a nine-year period. The project has received a letter of support from the Creston Business Association, as Commissioner Sassi mentioned, through a series of engagement um, as our request, as well as um, ensuring that uh, we um, cross all our T's and dot our I's in terms of community engagement. And again, also the project itself did require a planning commission approval for a parking waiver in December of 2022. So construction timeline is the spring of 2023 at this time and a project completion mm -hmm. around summer of 2024. And at this time, I'd like to introduce uh, Mr. Ryan Talbot uh, of Talbot Development to speak more about his project and his engagement to date on the project. All right. Thank you. Hi. Welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for having me here. Uh, and thanks to everybody here in the audience for uh, having to listen to me talk for a couple of minutes. Um, uh, really excited about this project. Uh, this is actually my first project in Grand Rapids. Um, I'm a Michigan native, but I uh, had to move away from the state in 2008 uh, without a lot of opportunities here at the time. And uh, a couple of chapters later, I ended up in Portland, Oregon, um, where I got into multifamily development like this with a family member. Um, <clears throat> and uh, it, it, I learned a lot, but was eager to get back home uh, to Michigan after a few years there. So um, I'd come to Grand Rapids on a, a visit. Uh, my brother got married here um, early in 2021, and I was frankly blown away. I hadn't been to the town in, in quite some years and was so impressed uh, at all the changes that I saw and um, the uh, uh, how clean the city was and how uh, engaged the citizens seemed to be and how excited people were to be here. Um, and I knew that, uh, you know, I, I'd be looking for any opportunities I could to do multifamily work here in Grand Rapids. Um, and then, of course, uh, with the current housing unit shortages, um, I thought, man, this is this is a great opportunity to do the style of multifamily development that I learned to do in Portland. So this building, uh, the, the thesis of it has always been housing first. Let's put as many housing units on the site as we can, um, hence the parking waiver that I, I came for uh, back in December. Um, so it's 72 units, um, and more than half of the units are studios. And the idea there is to, um, uh, it's new construction, so it's not going to be uh, as affordable as a bedroom on Craigslist or something like that. But um, it's a unit type that can be priced um, at, at an entry point that is hopefully just a little more attainable than some other larger size units you see out there. Um, 
so you know the, the thesis of the building is uh, try to be attainable, try to be as walkable uh, and accessible to the city as possible, encourage alternative modes of transportation, um, and uh, be as sustainable as is reasonable um, given project budget constraints. So you see there's quite a lot of solar panels modeled on the roof there. Um, we're going to put as many as we can uh, with, with the budget we have. Uh, there's going to be some space saved for HVAC and things like that. But um, that's the, the philosophy of the, of the building. Um, and I'm uh, grateful for the opportunity to present here. Great. Thanks. Uh, commissioners, any questions or comments? Commissioner Sassi, did you have a good? Sorry, I was a little, little uh, soon on that first part. <laughs> uh, Commissioner, it's been a long day. Um, Thank you for this overview. I would also say that um, Mr. Talbot and I had, um, you had shared about um, the cafe that you um, are going to have in there. It's not gonna, it's gonna truly be a cafe, coffee, sandwiches, things like that. Um, and I know the last time we spoke that you had mentioned that there hasn't been an identified operator that you don't intend to operate it, but. Uh, correct, yeah, we'll be, we'll be looking for an operator to run the, mm -hmm. the coffee shop. Yeah. I will also thank you for uh, pulling out there. I think that kind of fits in with our other priorities about just trying to uh, create more businesses in that um, in that district as well. Um, you mentioned the the parking piece from um, uh, planning, and I know that there were different feelings. Different businesses had had different thoughts. I would say we've got two large city lots in that area. Um, a lot of parking on. Um, Plainfield, and so you know, I I think by the investments that we're making with our dash and that Rapid is doing, and as we go into this master planning process to try to promote more form, forms of mobility, these are the types of things that we're going to need to do so that we can incentivize that type of activity to to be more mobile in the city. So. Um, I know that you had a lot of conversations. Not everybody, I think some folks on the CBA might might have been concerned about the parking pieces. And so I know that there were many discussions around that. So just want to, um, you know, pull that out and highlight that in this presentation as well. Thanks. Mm -hmm. um, commissioners, any additional questions or comments? Oh, go ahead, Commissioner. Hi, thanks for being here. Um, you mentioned uh, sustainability and you mentioned um, adding as many solar panels as possible. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, uh, what other kind of green or sustainable? Sure. System? Yeah. Uh, so the rendering, you can't quite see it, but there's a green wall on the east facade of the building. Uh, this building is also planned to be all electric, um, so no gas coming into the building. And the idea there is that um, electricity generation today comes from a variety of sources, but there are efforts to green the grid and, and move our electricity generation to more renewable resources. And if you have uh, a building that has gas coming in, the building really won't be much greener than the gas that it's burning. So if you have an electric building, um, you're able to green along with those generation sources changing. Um, that does present some challenges, uh, electric heat in particular, um, if you buy really uh, low cost uh, heating appliances, you can run into you know, larger heating bills. So we're, looking, or we're doing heat pumps in all of these units to help uh, make them as efficient as possible. Um, we're also using, um, we'll, we'll be exceeding energy code in the insulation of the building. Uh, again, just to keep the heat and the cool inside. Um, and then at, at this point, the roof is also planned to be white in color, which helps reflect sunlight uh, just a little bit. And if we can 
specify the right kind of solar panel. Sometimes you can get bifacial solar panels that actually collect some of the bounced light and uh, on the back side of the panel. So, um, and then stuff like uh, smart thermostats and um, things like that, that that'll help. Uh, and, and lots of bike parking to encourage that mode of transportation as well. Nice. Um, a follow-up question to that. Do you have a sense of uh, those investments into into the environmental sustainability aspects? Uh, do you have a sense of how much that will reduce overall utility costs for residents? Uh, that is a good question. Um, the I, I'm hoping that the heating and cooling costs or, or heating costs will be um, comparable to gas. Uh, it, the units are relatively small, like I said. So um, you're not heating and cooling a large space. So the cost delta, it, it may be slightly more expensive, but it might be something like five or ten dollars or something like that. Um, it, it's hard to say until you know. Uh, the weather patterns and you know the the ultimate window sizes and things like that. So it's it's a complicated calculation, but um, at this point, uh, heating a space with electricity is maybe slightly more expensive than gas. But I think in the long run, um, it's the the right thing to do. And the solar will be behind the meter. Uh, the solar, yeah, given, given space constraints we have on the roof, the solar will help offset the common area usage. Um, so it won't tie to someone's specific meter in their unit, but a portion of their rent, of course, pays for the building, like the common area uh, utilities, and so it will help to offset that. Okay, um, okay. good, good to know. Thank you. Uh, all right. Commissioners, any other questions or comments? All right, thank you. Thank you. All right, I'll open it up if you are here tonight to be heard on this. Again, this is the Brownfield, revised Brownfield plan for this project. You're welcome to come forward. Again, we ask that you share your name, the city that you live in, and you'll be given up to three minutes to speak. Lucas, still first ward. Uh, this is convenient. I like that this is right here. I like to sometimes come here dressed like all the other economically fortunate white dudes so that I'm kind of a Trojan horse of hard questions that nobody wants to answer. Um, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the, those in the back who keep yelling, can you, can you please not interrupt ple people, please? We want everyone to be able to be heard uh, tonight. Don't do that to me. I'm whether just going to look at the screen. We're going to reset the time. But whether, you're, whether you agree or disagree with the person speaking, they have a right to be heard without being interrupted. Uh, and, and this body up here, they're here so that we can hear um, what they have to say before we have to make a decision. Uh, so we just want to be really respectful of everyone who comes to speak. Whether Honestly, whether we agree with them or not, um, they have a right to be heard. Go you want to hook me Sorry, up with Mr. that slide, Joel? Mr. Lever, go ahead. What? You put that back. I want to keep it so the... People can see the rules. Right. So. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Can I could can I use the slide now since that's the hearing that we're talking to, please? Go ahead and put it back <laughs> up since the. It's kind of counting on that. We'll we'll try to toggle back and forth. But go ahead. Thanks, man. All right, seventy-two apartments, fine, whatever. Uh, studios, one bedrooms, whatever. <laughs> You guys have heard a lot from me in the past three or four weeks. Uh, last time I came up here and blasted a development, I actually had an accidental wonderful meeting. I sat at the <clears throat> Mitten for five hours with Peter from Sulla and I gained a, an ally with similar thoughts in this town. We both formulated ideas, then I brought you back those ideas and Mr. Gracia the same ideas. He's been sitting on that email for two weeks with no response. I did notice you've adjusted some of the language in these pitches, but the bottom line here is that these pitches come in this room dishonest or lying, depending on which topic we're talking about. It is embarrassing in our economic situation 
after listening to some falsehoods about alcohol and homelessness, to then start bragging about things being below more than average income. That is not a bragging right. Bragging about 120% of anything as the, as the top, that's not, that's not good. Now we've talked about a lot of educational topics about Brownfield and, and affordable housing funding. Those are received and understood and being processed by the community. But these bullet points are a really dishonest sales pitch. Don't brag about 120%. It's not worth bragging about. Uh, let's see, the jobs. The jobs are the bailiwick. Now, I noticed in the write-up, it said uh, anticipated. Much better language, good job, but I suggested other ways of saying things that are not created. Because the bottom line is when the development folks come in here and they pitch to you and they say that there's going to be created jobs, they're lying about something that they don't know anything about. It is not going to happen. It is not written in any contract that that has to happen. This is a rough guess. This is literal vaporware jobs. When I was sitting and having pizza and beers with Peter, I told him if I won the lottery, I could go take the whole bottom floor of his development that you've approved tonight in your consent agenda, move myself and my partner in there, go full-time freelance. We'd be the only two employees. We definitely wouldn't pay ourselves only $18 an hour, but who knows where we would fall. We would completely blow up this projection. The projection is entire fiction. We have to stop enabling you to turn around and say you created jobs when you run for office. It's not true. You can say projected. You can say possible. There are a lot of words here except created. It's not going to happen. There's no guarantee. Yeah, it might. There's also no guarantee those people are going to pay $18 an hour, and if the fight over wages in this country is any sign of where that's going, they're going to try their damnedest not to. So I just want us to be more honest about this stuff. Do I drive down this street every day to pick up the kid from City High School? Yeah. Do I think there's enough parking? Not by a long shot. Now, I don't think that you should have denied this guy his parking. No, that's fine. What do you got? Makes sense. But let's not stand thank you. Thank here you, thank you, Mr. Thank you, Mr. and pretend thanks. we have control over buses that are not ours. All right. Thanks. All right. Others wish to be heard on this uh, public hearing? Hi. Welcome. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor. Good evening, Commissioners, City Attorney, uh, City Manager. My name is Ivan Diaz. I uh, live in Grand Rapids on the southwest side. To be honest, I wasn't planning on speaking on this specific uh, public hearing. I was planning on speaking on a later one, but I figured I'd take this opportunity anyways. I'm going to take a quick second to introduce myself and then move on to this. Um, again, Ivan Diaz, I was elected as Kent County Commissioner for District 20 last election, so I represent a portion of Southwest Grand Rapids um, along that Cesar, Cesar Chavez uh, mm -hmm. Avenue Drive section. Um, Good to have you here tonight, Commissioner. Thank you. Thank you. To be honest, you know, my, my thoughts and feelings on housing have changed somewhat since I was elected. Um, but I think one thing that, I, that we can all agree on um, is the fact that there is a crisis in this city, in this county. Um, and if anything, the feelings and the comments that people are expressing today are a reflection of how deep of a hole we have gotten ourselves into. There was an article that was recently released on 30-something thousand units, housing units that are needed by 2027. Currently, we are meeting not even 20 or around 20% of that new housing demand. We are in a deep hole. I'm here tonight to, to commit myself 
um, I'm only speaking for myself here, to, to addressing that need, not only for new housing units, but for housing units across the board. Personally, for me, I think all public dollars should be going towards affordable housing um, because that need is greatest and those are the populations that need the most help. But again, my thoughts have changed since I was elected and I have come to recognize that there is a need for housing across the board in this city, in this county. Again, there's a lot of feelings that are being expressed here tonight and I think that these are types, the types of things that can be addressed in contracts and those specific things that are developed as these projects move forward. But it is, it is undeniable that we need housing in this city, in this county. Um, again, I'm committing myself to doing all I can to work with you all. I'm constantly reaching out to our state electeds to work with them. I think we have a lot of opportunities and a lot of need. Um, but again, we're not meeting anywhere near what that, what that demand is. So I'm challenging all of you to do better. I know we can do better. I'm recently elected. Um, the people here tonight know that we can do better. And I think if our goal in the end is to build a better city, city county, um, that is available to all regardless of whether or not you've lived here your entire life or whether or not you can afford some of these newer um, units. Um, we can all work together to, to get that done. So thank you to you all. As I said, I'll be speaking on an item later on, but I wanted to start tonight with that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Diaz. It's good to see you. All right. Others wish to be heard on this item? Mark from Grand Rapids. Once again, big time investors coming in and snatching up property for brownfield development money. Again, I have no problem with the with the plan. <clears throat> the problem I have with it is. They go use cheap money and rent high. In addition, this is going to be all electric. That comes with problems. Are you going to put backup generators besides the buildings in the event power goes out? And those solar panels come at a cost. You say what you want, but they're not cheap. And unless you can fork up more money, you can, you can fork up money to buy to get industrial strength generac heaters. Those tenants. going to be pretty ornery because up here in Michigan <coughs> especially when it gets cold the heaters cut off they're at the mercy of the power company and that could take weeks days, weeks, months to restore power back that's not good And with all due respect to Mr. Talbot, that's fine in Portland. It's not fine here in Grand Rapids. Nobody can afford 120% AMI. 
That's too much money. Now you can lower it. That's fine. But trust me, there's going to be some empty units in that, in that project. And that means you will lose money instead of making money. Because profit for the private people, they're going to find ways to bring people from out of town to, 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 live, in, to live in these type of units. Right, again, thank, pushing thank you, the residents right. out Mark. again. Thank you. Thank you. All right, anyone else who wishes to be heard on this item? Uh, William Smith, actually Walker, Michigan. Uh, businessman downtown Grand Rapids. Uh, I did not plan to speak on this issue. I'm here for another issue. Um, but I'm trying to teach my students at Grand Valley to keep your awareness on. Times are changing. We need to pay attention to what's happening. So when I see a development like this that's got a breath of fresh air in it, it's smaller apartments, it's going to make them more affordable. I employ 25 high-paying IT jobs right down on Stocking and Bridge. I have employees that are looking for that kind of property and they can pay those rents. And right now they're driving in from Zeeland and they're driving in from Wyoming and um, their proximity to my business would be much better. So I think we need to stop, take a breath of fresh air and look at this kind of development and say, yes, we need to start to endorse this kind of thing. I like the idea that we're getting away from the gas, we're going to electric, we know that's going to be more renewable. We should be endorsing this as a city. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Smith. All right, anyone else who wishes to be heard? I'm Libby. Um, I just, I don't, I know we're not usually supposed to ask questions, but I, and I, maybe I missed this, but I heard them say that the Creston Business Association was on board with this. Did they say anything about the Creston Neighborhood Association? Because those are two different organizations. Mm -hmm. And I wondered if I could ask that question. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. Anyone else who wishes to be heard? Good evening, commissioners. Uh, my name is Deck Andrzejczak, and I have commercial property adjacent to this uh, structure, the structure to be. And I was present at the CBA meetings, and CNA was there. Greg Hampshire was there. So there was representation from the, the neighborhood association. Um, everybody that I've spoken with and worked with is really excited about this project. So I think to approve this and to have it move forward is a great thing. Um, the mobile GR meeting last year was refreshing to hear that they didn't need to get special parking or have to take up the city parking lots for specific rental use for this building. Um, the only thing I ask, and I, Ryan has been willing to work with the building to the south there, because this is a zero lot line property, that we keep an open alleyway so that people can go through to Plainfield between those buildings. He's willing to put lighting up. He's mentioned that. Um, and it's just because it's not his property, he can't allow the passage. But I think that will be much safer for people that are there to visit Creston, the businesses, to have a way to pass through instead of walking around the block on both sides of that parking lot. So um, that was part of the project that was there before, the one that got scrapped from a, a 616. And I think, I think if we can continue that, it would be a great thing as well. So, thank you. Thanks, Doug. All 
right, anyone else wishes to be heard? Hello, my name is Eileen. I'm a resident of the city of Grand Rapids. Um, I wanted to speak on this housing development specifically, but maybe more generally about housing developments like this. Um, these apartments are likely to exacerbate the housing crisis in our city, not better it. I've met a lot of people who end up living in these studio apartments, and uh, just like the prior gentleman said, I'm sorry, didn't grab his name, they're normally coming from outside of the city, um, normally for high paying jobs, you know, the kind of job you're willing to move cities for, and they aren't looking to compete for um, housing that's of value with the local population. They're normally looking for convenience, you know, uh, somewhere they might be willing to live for short term, just in case this job doesn't work out, just in case they don't like the area, and they normally are. They're normally transitioning out of the city within one to two years. Um, most of the people that I met have been here like just a little bit over a year and then end up saying, you know, like they're going to go for a job somewhere else, another side of the state, in another city. So um, these um, studio apartments, they're normally willing to pay for them outside of what they would normally be valuable for for the local population, which, you know, a, a one room living situation is not something that most people find highly desirable. And that might also contribute to the transience of this population is that these aren't, you know, living situations that people enjoy dwelling in. You know, we're in Michigan about half of the year. It's not super warm outside. It's not super great to be outside. People want to stay inside, but one room dwellings kind of don't contribute to um, long-term mental um, well-being when that's the place that you're kind of stuck in when you get home at the end of the day and that's the place that you just kind of have to cook in and sleep in that one space. Um, but again, they're not looking to compete with the local population for um, housing that's good value. They just want something convenient that's easy to find and so they're willing to pay whatever for because they're normally coming here again for high paying jobs and then that's going to affect the housing costs of the local neighborhood and that will then drive their rent up, drive their taxes up, and drive the value of the properties up, which again drives out local homeowners from purchasing those houses. So more studio apartments like this are just going to exacerbate the housing crisis in our city, not necessarily help it. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. All right, anyone else uh, who wishes to be heard on this item? Then I'm going to close this public hearing. Hello, Brandon. Uh, from Grand Rapids. So I just want to speak a little more clearly on what the Brownfield Development Grant is. I feel like just for the like accessibility reasons, we've hardly described the origins of the Brownfield Development and it's just like standard operating procedure to come in here and say, yep, this is another development. You kind of decide things at an earlier meeting and vote on things quickly, like million dollar things. Like there is no accessibility. I just went to the master plan meeting and it was nice to have some people out there, but ultimately you have a bunch of corporate consultants, you have a, a nice corporate plan, and we are in an oligarchy right now, and, and this uh this crisis is the, the foundational thing. We have a housing crisis. It's international. There are national companies that we are contending with. And your statement as a city is $6 million for affordable housing. When one project is costing $9.7 million in pure construction costs, and, and this is 72% market rate apartments. Now, my question is, how much profit is going to be made from these houses? Who owns these houses, right? Who's going to own this development? How much money is the city going to get back? This is a huge hole that you're going to take taxpayer money to then give 
a development space to a private individual and millions of dollars are going to be made, the people who have money you are supporting and your economic development director with these brownfield development grants is focused on private investment that ultimately will increase gentrification without a large investment in affordable housing, you are gentrifying. And the city as a whole is gentrifying. We need to have a much larger amount of investment. You're so busy giving 38% of the budget to the police for over a decade and dismally dismantling any semblance of a housing trust. Since 2017, what happened to the 250 properties? There's 80 vacant lots that the city bought right now, and they're just being sold off. The 250 properties went to corporate investors, and there is a huge hole. This is, this is complete oligarchical values, okay? How many new apartments, the number of new apartments, are 30% AMI? You have nonprofits largely taking care of the unhoused. The city, many other cities of a similar size do way more than this city. And it's structural racism, it's gentrification, you give no investment to the third ward. Over a billion dollars of investment in the city. We are rich and I would love to breathe. Oh, we should just breathe free. That is offensive to anyone who is housing insecure. And all of you are in a different world than me and everyone struggling. It's disgusting. All right, thank you. I'm gonna close that public uh, hearing. I'm gonna invite Mr. Gracia and maybe uh, Mr. Talbot up to answer uh, some of the questions that you heard and specifically uh, if we have a letter of support from Crescent Neighborhood Association. Uh, sure, thank you. Um, I met with the Creston Neighborhood Association Land Use Subcommittee uh, back in October um, as I sought a letter of support for the Neighborhood Enterprise Zone program. Uh, and I got that letter uh, back in the fall. So uh, I've also had several other engagement points with the Neighborhood Association, just uh, more socially, whether it's Lights on Creston or the Art Bash or whatever the, the case may be. But um, uh, generally, I found the, the neighborhood um, really excited about the project especially because it's an empty lot right now, uh, putting it to good use to house some people um, is, is, that's landed pretty favorably overall. Um, to address another comment about the sidewalk, the cut through between the two buildings, um, I've reached um, uh, an agreement with the neighbor. Um, it's, it's technically their property on that part, but we're going to uh, come up with some sort of sidewalk or semi-permeable paving or something like that. Um, in order to have that be accessible uh, through there. And it'll be lit and um, probably some amount of access control maybe during certain hours or something. But um, it, we have talked through that and, and that is part of the plan now. Great, thank you. Uh, I, I don't think there are any other specific questions. All right, thank you. Appreciate you answering those. Uh, Mr. Gracia, any final comments? So just in addition, this project did go through the Planning Commission and both the Neighborhood Association and Business Association provided letters of support through that public process as well. Okay, great, and our Brownfield Development Authority? Yes, in the Brownfield, yeah. yes. Great, thanks. 
All right, with that, we'll close this uh, public hearing and that will be referred back to our Committee of the Whole. Uh, and that will take us to our fourth scheduled public hearing. Uh, and this is a scheduled public hearing to consider amendments to Chapter 140, Title 8 of the City Code, uh, referred to often as our Property Maintenance Code. So tonight I will have uh, Mr. Paul Hahn. And is, is Ms. Bohatch joining you? She's not available this okay. evening. All right, uh, so we have Mr. Paul Hahn uh, here tonight who will walk us through some of the details and specifics of the amendments that we are considering. Uh, and then I'll open it up. I'll have my colleagues up here uh, ask any questions they might have. And then if you are here tonight to be heard on this, I'll invite you up. Similarly, I'll ask you to share your name, the city that you live in, and you'll be given up to three minutes to speak. So. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Hunt, let me, uh, one more thing. I know we have a, a, a full house tonight, uh, which is great, uh, but we do, my, my fire, uh, Marshall Fire Code uh, experts are reminding us that we do have to keep the exit clear. Uh, so please make sure that the doorway is made available, uh, but we'll make sure everybody has a chance to speak. There are some chairs that are open or opening up, so you are welcome to find your way to a seat, uh, but we do ask that you keep the, the entrance available and clear for people to come in and out. Um, so with that, I'll have Mr. Paul Hahn start tonight, walk you through uh, what the amendments are that are being proposed, and then, as I said, I will uh, turn to my colleagues for any questions and then open it up for public comment. So, Mr. Hahn? Thank you for the time this evening, Mayor. Um, I'm going to proceed at a fairly uh, quick pace, uh, high level on these because you've heard uh, some of this before the folks in the audience briefly. What we are looking at tonight are three changes to the uh, ordinance. The first is to update our base code from the 2012 property maintenance code to the 2021 version of the IPMC. The second is to identify local amendments uh, that will supplement the IPMC. I'll talk about what those are tonight. And then third, to add chapter 12, a lead-based paint uh, to the property maintenance code. So starting with that first item, uh, updating the IPMC. Here are the principal changes that will take place as we move from 2012 version to the 2021 version. There will be numerous minor word changes for clarifications. A few definitions are spelled out. There's introductory language to chapters. There is an uh, a section about fire resistance ratings. There is a prohibition on portable space heaters uh, for a source of heat, for a primary source of heat. Uh, there's an addition of carbon monoxide alarms being required. And then the means of appeals, which is very similar to our current practice, will be moved to an appendix. Then there is secondly, the, uh, the local amendments to the IPMC. And so these are the pieces that we control locally to uh, flavor our, our ordinance for local conditions. And in this section, um, we will be uh, updating section numbers. We will identify our local amendments. The code does call for us to specify some things. Uh, we will set work hours on condemned properties from between 7 a.m. and 10 p.m. to keep them vacant overnight and not as residents. We will omit sections that duplicate existing local codes. We will permit um, two-year certificates of compliance for single-family rental properties. Currently, those are at four and six only, and our multifamilies are at two, four, and six. This would make them consistent. We're going to specify that a six-year certificate of compliance cannot be obtained if the property previously had a two-year certificate of compliance. And then last, or not lastly, last on this slide, but there are a few more, 
Uh, we will increase the limit for transfer of a certificate of compliance from 90 days to 365 days or one full year. Also, in the property maintenance code, uh, local amendments, we will update our mechanical systems inspection language uh, to align with the duration of the cert rather than once every four years. We will omit language for enforcement of min minimum temperatures in occupiable workspaces. And we will remove residential from sections addressing the abandoned uh, property code allowing commercial structures into the blight, the blight program. And then lastly, we will add Chapter 12 lead-based paint uh, to the ordinance. Um, that last piece is a piece that comes to us by recommendation of the Lead-Free Kids Grand Rapids Advisory Committee um, in a number of years of work. Uh, it was also supported by a uh, recommendation in the tactic report issued by the National Center for Healthy Housing and research of best practices in uh, many other communities. It's an evidence-based approach that strikes, uh, that works very hard to strike a balance between health protection for children and uh, cost and um, the impact upon uh, housing providers. So chapter 12 is looking at these items. It is a lead-based paint chapter that will take our existing lead-based paint ordinances that have to do with peeling paint, no paint chips, no bare soil, and the use of lead safe work practices and move them into that chapter 12. It will establish an objective standard, a lead-based paint enforcement threshold, focusing on the inside interior of properties. So the, it is a focused approach looking at interior spaces where children are most likely to be affected. Then uh, there will be a requirement for dust sampling uh, for those who pass, uh, as well as for those who fail the visual inspection. I'm going to talk a little bit about the dust sampling for uh, those who pass. It is on the screen here. Um, and you might be asking yourself if people, if we pass a lead-based paint visual inspection, why do we do dust sampling? The answers are multiple. First, the eyes cannot see the hazard of lead. It is fine dust that gets on children's fingers and into their mouths. Secondly, it is to ensure routine maintenance between the inspection period that oftentimes is six years in length. Third, it is to ensure that lead safe work practices are being used between inspections. And lastly, it's a quality assurance uh, uh, method that will help us accelerate the uh, number, uh, the decline in the number of kids that are poisoned by lead in our community. In 2021, 7% of our children tested high in lead in city census tracts. Um, there will be ex exemptions from this particular program. It will apply to rental property because it is part of the rental pro property certificate, certificate of compliance. Uh, senior housing will be exempt. Short-term stays like hotels and motel rooms will be exempt and other dwellings that are already exempt from the rental certification program will continue their exemption. It also talks about occupant protection. Really important to notice here that abatement and tenant relocation is not the requirement of this code. This is a property maintenance code, and it is focused on those items, maintenance items. And so the code does not speak to relocating tenants. It does not speak to the need to necessarily do a full abatement of a property. It can be handled through maintenance. Um, and then it has occupant protections. Occupants are not permitted to enter the work site while the abatement or renovation activities are taking place. Those are federal and state rules um, that are designed to keep occupants safe. Um, when they do have to be relocated, 
uh, for work reasons, which oftentimes can be avo avoided, um, that, that will have to take place. And then lastly, the work site shall be secured and occupants' belongings protected from um, exposure to lead dust during renovation. So last slide here just summarizes how the program will work. The recommendation is for a visual inspection. If the uh, property fails that visual inspection, it uh, will be required to be repaired using lead safe work practices under the federal statute, which does require uh, a different kind of clearance. Um, if it does pass the visual uh, assessment, it still needs to undergo that dust sampling requirement in order to assure the safety in that unit. Um, I should mention this is only in pre-1978 units. I didn't say that before. Uh, those that may be new to this, this is just for those older units that were built before lead-based paint was banned. Again, integrated into the rental certification program, interior hazards specifically targeted third party for the dust screening, much like the mechanical safety inspections. And lastly, uh, failing dust sampling results um, will have to be addressed before uh, the unit is occupied. That's a basic level of safety to remove that dust that is the hazard that exposed kids. And one last comment on that, that dust sampling in other communities, Rochester, New York, that has a similar program, 90% of property owners succeed with that dust sampling process. It's not a guaranteed fail by any stretch of the imagination. HUD's own data when they uh, look at older housing uh, see success rates close, uh, close to 80% without properties even being prepared for inspection. So um, with that, I will close and uh, answer any questions. And we'll move on. All right, thank you. Uh, colleagues, any questions for Mr. Hahn? I know we uh, received some uh, lengthy, uh, significant uh, documents, I should say, to give us all an opportunity to uh, refer back to and, and review some of the research and the data that Mr. Hahn referred to, uh, as well as some summary from the uh, Childhood-Led Task Force. Uh, so hopefully, I haven't gotten through all of it. I read it years ago, uh, but I will reread it. Uh, and if you have any questions, I'm sure you can follow up. Uh, commissioners, any questions or comments before I open up for public comment? All right. Thank you, Mr. Hahn. All right. So if you are here tonight to be heard on this item, again, I'll welcome you forward. Uh, please share your name, the city that you live in, and I'll give you up to three minutes to speak. Uh, Commissioner, oh, I think somebody's phone might be beeping. Hopefully that's not an alarm. City manager, is that an alarm? It's a what? Somebody's phone. Phone. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right, uh, we'll ask you to put those on silence. Uh, all right, so we will get started uh, with public comment, uh, or the scheduled public hearing for this item, property maintenance code updates. Uh, and we'll start with uh, Commissioner Diaz, welcome. Thank you again. Um, I wanted to speak in support of this, um, forgetting the exact term, rule, basically. Um, you know, I actually was speaking to a local nonprofit that focuses specifically on lead uh, or dealing with people who are dealing with lead in their homes, specifically those homes that have children under five. Um, and I was saddened to know that even though Flint has gotten a lot of attention over the years, the 49507 zip code actually has some of the highest rates of lead poisoning in the entire state um, and has not received nearly enough attention. Um, and so 
I'm very hopeful for this, for this again rule. Um, my one critique would be that I don't think that it goes nearly far enough. I think the one um, thing that was outlined was that um, for cost reasons, we wouldn't, or the city wouldn't be forcing um, people who own those units to actually remove the paint. And I'm personally somebody who does not like putting band-aids, as I like to call them, on a broken system. I think this is a step forward, but I think in the long term, I would like to again work with you all and work with our state partners to develop some kind of funding source to help um, the owners of those units who would need to actually take that painting or other sources of lead out of the building. Um, again, you know, I live on the southwest side, right off, right off of uh, Clemente Park, and I looked at the map on the website and most of the houses on my street still have lead water pipes. Um, again, there's progress being made in, on that front, but we need to move as quickly as we can and again, not put band-aids on a broken system. Um, I like to think in the long term and, and how we can deal with some of these things so that we're not back here, you know, in a couple of years dealing with the same thing. Um, so again, I'd like to commit myself to, to moving forward and to, you know, dealing with those long-term fixes. Um, I actually had to get going here, but uh, one of the last things that I wanted to say, not nearly related to this, but one of the things that I would like to work with you all on is trying to, as was started before the pandemic, work on single member districts for the city of Grand Rapids, because I think that would increase representation. Right. Um, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. And I, I should say how much we appreciate the partnership with the county and the health department. Uh, so if you don't know, it's our county health department that does the testing for lead and helps with remediation when children test positive. So, all right. Others wish to be heard on this item? Good evening, uh, Kyle Nauman. I'm an associate real estate broker in the state of Michigan, also a property income property owner, and then also a citizen of the second ward. Um, I'm also in agreement with the commissioner that just left. This should go further. Um, we should not just limit this to income producing properties or rental properties. This should be all homes and, structure and structures um, built before 1978. Child care facilities built before 1978. Kids could be there from 6 a.m. till 6 p.m. while their parents are at work. These facilities should be tested. And then any owner-occupied home in the city of Grand Rapids should also be tested. So if we are up here as a commissioner and as a community concerned about the health and safety of children, then all homes should be tested. That would be equitable to protect the whole community. If not, then it should be removed from income properties because then that is not treating all fairly. If you look at the lead mains that are being replaced, those are going to all properties. Those are not just being dedicated to income producing properties. Um, I would like to speak briefly on the type of testing. I'm really concerned with the third party lab being involved with mailing away, with waiting for results to come back, and then lining up contractors that can do lead-based tests safely. That just seems like there could be a potential for um, folks to be having to be relocated because my units there's studios and one bedrooms. You're not going to find another space in that apartment that you could coexist while lead remediation is being conducted. So they would have to go somewhere else if any of our properties, which are all built before 1978, tested positive. Um, so I would think a test similar to the ones that are sold at Home Depot, they're little vial tests. They're about $10 a piece. You swab it on and it's real-time results. If that liquid turns pink, You've got lead in the paint and there's a lead concern. Um, that seems a lot more equitable, quick. The inspectors with the city can test it. Homeowners or even tenants before moving into a structure for $10, they could test that apartment to know if they're safe. That seems like a good 
process change. So I'm for lead-based paint testing. I'm just wishing it would go for to protect all kids and just be a little bit more affordable on the testing front so that rents aren't going to increase. And as uh, one of the gentlemen spoke before, affordability of housing just keeps going through the roof. So I'm for it. Um, and then the last one with my last 30 seconds, in my world as a real estate agent, leases run with the property. Water bills run with the property. Property taxes run with the property. A certification, no matter what the length that is granted, two, four, six years, it should run the whole duration if that property is sold. It's quite the headache formed when um, sellers of an income property find out, I have to get this recertified. It was just done two years ago. What has changed so much? So that should go to whatever the certification length is. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Appreciate your comments. All right. Others who should be heard? Good evening, Hi, Commissioners. Welcome. My name is Grace. I'm a resident of the Second Ward, and I'm also the Healthy Housing Specialist at Healthy Homes Coalition of West Michigan. Part of our work at Healthy Homes is working with families who are experiencing lead poisoning, specifically if um, their levels are considered under-elevated lead lead levels, um, by determined by the, um, the EPA. However, um, any lead can harm a child and cause long-term damage to their bodies and do a lot of other things. Um, as a caseworker, I've firsthand seen the stress, pain, and anxiety that, that is caused by families seeing their children be lead poisoned. Um, part of that is seeing their child lag in development, struggle in school, and experience different health issues. Um, I've seen so many cases where rental homes and repair have been the direct cause of lead poisoning. In Kent County, 90% of cases of childhood lead poisoning are caused by lead dust from paint, 90%. So there is a concern about the water, especially because of Flint, but in Kent County, the biggest concern is lead dust caused by friction of paint. Um, this new ordinance would guarantee that lead paint will be monitored, make sure that it is well-maintained, it will educate and provide important information to renters, and it will engage property owners and landlords in the fight against lead poisoning. So we at Healthy Homes urge the commission to um, pass this ordinance and be part of the change that will help us fight lead poisoning in Grand Rapids and establish a better future for all of the children in this city. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. All right, others wish to be heard? Hi. Good evening, uh, Mayor Bliss and Grab City Commissioners. Uh, my name is Josh Sinclair. Uh, in 2016, my wife and I started buying uh, rental properties in Grand Rapids. Uh, we had two goals in mind. Uh, we wanted to invest in the city we love and provide updated and clean living spaces for residents to live. Uh, over the past seven years, we have accumulated four rental units. Uh, I am the landlord, property manager, and caretaker of all my rental units and residents who live in them. I already operate on very tight margins as I do almost all the small repairs and maintenance myself. Uh, I'm proud to say that over the last seven years, I've only had to increase rate rents uh, one time, and that was just this past year due to the rising cost of inflation. As you can imagine, uh, I'm adamantly opposed to the amendments in the property maintenance code as it pertains to lead-based paint, and here's why. Uh, the addition of the proposed lead-based paint <coughs> requirements will add little to no positive impact toward resolving the lead paint issue beyond what is already required by the existing property maintenance code. The proposed lead testing and clearance requirements will not make a positive impact to the renters in Grand Rapids that the lead incentive hopes to achieve. 
The proposed lead testing and clearance requirements will result in a massive negative impact on the lives of those who choose to rent in Grand Rapids. The policy will directly cause housing instability and higher housing costs to renters. The existing property maintenance code already requires housing providers to perform repairs using the EPA RRP lead safe practices. The work required to make repairs will not change. The proposed testing requirements will only cause unintended consequences and does not ensure safer housings or reduce risks of lead exposure. The elected city commissioners should not adopt the addition of this lead paint ordinance when updating the current property maintenance code. Ultimately, these amendments will impact affordability of housing in the city and make it more challenging for tenants and property owners alike. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Sinclair. All right, others wish to be heard? Good evening, commissioners. My name is Deck Andrzejczak, and I have rental properties in the Creston area of Grand Rapids. I've been involved in a few meetings regarding lead testing, not to shut down testing for lead hazards, but to offer options that differ from the proposed changes to the property maintenance code. The options I propose still reduce lead exposures, but will also reduce test time, keep costs lower, and provide safe housing for all Grand Rapids residents, not those that are just renting. So I have a four-point summary here that I'll go through and then I'll give you a copy. Um, frequency of testing. Please change the frequency of testing to be required at the first certification or the first certification renewal after the proposed uh, ordinance goes into place. Once the property is tested to be lead safe, then there shouldn't be testing required unless there's future work done on the property that disturbs painted surfaces. Two, the test type. Utilize a real-time, more affordable test method to minimize tenant disruption. The 3M lead check testing is less expensive and can be done on the spot during inspection. This test can be performed by residents and property owners at any time. The test would also have a lower carbon footprint. The city's proposed changes will impact the carbon footprint of the planet with all of the single use and disposable items needed to test. Gloves, wipes, plastic bottles, mailings, fuel, personnel to be at each property, lab equipment and resources and responses for the testing. Lower costs, less impact to rent rates, lower carbon footprint, better for the environment. Safety for all. Test all the housing units in the city of Grand Rapids if you want to protect the children, not just the rental properties. And the fourth is certification validity. Uh, as mentioned earlier, rental certification should stay with the property for the duration of the certification, even if the property sells. Just as tenant leases, compliance violation fees, water bills, and property taxes run with the property regardless of ownership, the same should be true for the certification. And I was going to ask about the measurements, but I think Mr. Hahn mentioned there was a 7% rate. So I'm sure there's more information available. I just had trouble finding it. So I'll look for Let's Safe Kids. All right. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. We'll make sure that you get that information. All right. Others who should be? Oh, yeah, you can just give it to the clerk. Thanks. Thanks, Doug. Good evening, my name is Bill Breiker. My wife and I have owned rental properties in Heritage Hill for over 30 years. We're well aware of uh, the sweat equity that goes into these old buildings. And um, uh, we like, I like to, I don't want to pat myself on the back, but we maintain our buildings in top shape. I'm also a retired chemist, and I am concerned a little bit about the testing and the source of lead. Um, we're ignoring other sources, and the one I like to pick on is secondhand or thirdhand smoke, 
or cigarette ashes. And here's just a, one statement. About 11% of the lead from cigarettes enters the smoke and roughly half of that is believed to enter the lungs of smokers. The bulk of the remainder is found in the ash. Though some contaminants in the environment increasing the lead levels of dust in the households of smokers. So you could test, I don't know, I'm just putting a word of warning out. You might have a positive lead test, but it might not be from the paint. It could be from cigarette ashes or the dust from cigarette ashes or cannabis ashes. So, and the other thing that in this day and age, the technology for detecting low levels of lead has improved. So it won't take much to flag a positive lead test, but I'm just concerned that we need to go in with your eyes open at all potential sources of lead. Thank you. Thank you. All right, others wish to be heard? Again, <clears throat> William Smith Walker, Michigan. <clears throat> Good evening. Some of you I actually know. Um, I'm West Side businessman, and I chose to buy properties around my business and improve those properties. Um, I'm pleased to say that I have taken all the lead safe classes. Every one of my properties always gets a six-year cert. Every property has had all the windows and doors that could be changed um, replaced so they're as maintenance-free as possible. What this change doesn't take into consideration is the management of tenants. I have several tenants that have rented for, from me for many years. They enjoy low, low rent because I choose to endorse their families. Recently, I had a tenant that reported lead levels with their grandson. I immediately went over and looked at the situation because I was surprised. This unit had been completely renovated with replacement windows, doors, and exterior siding. We had repainted the entire apartment and we had replaced all the carpet. It was unbelievable to me. How could this happen? When I went into the apartment to review the issue, I found that their young grandson was being allowed to chew on the windowsills. The parents and the grandparents were not managing the child. I ended up duct taping hand towels on the windowsills until the child got old enough that was no longer chewing on things. And so the problem becomes, how do you manage that? Is that the landlord's job? Is that the tenant's job? The city will cite us for that, but what do we do? Second is, I have several tenants that choose not to do regular cleaning and maintenance of their properties. And I'm sure that the window and trims and sills haven't been cleaned in several years. In this situation, there's no chance that that property is gonna class, uh, pass a swipe. So is it my responsibility to go in and do the cleaning for the tenant? Um, I don't know where that line falls, but somewhere we have to understand that uh, coming back to the landlord all the time um, is not the solution. Here's a perfect example. Last week, the city of Grand Rapids called me because they said there was bio-waste in a trash container at one of my places. I immediately went over. I opened it up. I couldn't find anything that they were talking about. I called the city employee to get clarification. I took pictures. The city employee never called me back. The tenant pays for the trash. I end up dumping the trash and taking it to the landfill myself. And in that process, I found nothing in there that was uh, unhealthy to me or, or uh, something I would be concerned with. So we got to figure out how do we have the landlords be responsible but still uh, have the tenants 
have to, you know, buck up. So I am saying that what code we have now is sufficient. Uh, I'm getting six-year certs. We know that it's passing the visual inspections. Anything beyond that's not going to be helpful. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Smith. Okay, others wish to be heard? Lucas, first word. Uh, I came here expecting a parade of greed, apology. Uh, so far, I'm getting it. Um, I warned you guys last time you're going to get all sorts of weird, puffed up chest, failed threats. So far, we're getting it. Um, you've probably figured out by now, greed is my bailiwick. Greed is the big thing. Greed's the thing I talk about all the time. Uh, I didn't expect to come here and hear blaming the tenant as the constant refrain. And I definitely didn't expect the reefer madness play. That was a new one. That did not come into my zone. I did not know we were going to go there. I have been a renter my entire adult life. And as I joked about earlier, uh, I made these two ladies whisper to each other. They probably said, you don't know he looks 44. But I'm 44. I've been around a minute and I've never owned a home. Why? Because I lived in expensive Cashville, Tennessee. Couldn't save any money. One of the benefits of moving here. And I've always said in city context, because there was always a favoring of property owners, and people would actually come to you and say, you don't matter because you're a renter. Why are you at these meetings? There are no bad renters, only bad landlords. Why? Because you're the one that did the background check. You're the one that wrote the lease. You're the one that gets to police the policy. It's on you to choose the right people. We have treated every home like we owned it and done small tasks on our own to help out, as long as it was authorized. So there's a lot of mixed arguments showing up in this room. Some of them are really American capitalist embarrassing. We lucked out. Uh, we rent from a mom and pop. They own a few properties. It's just them. They're nice people. We're apparently getting a ridiculous good deal that I'm not going to say out loud. And uh, they'd say they can't even fathom raising our rent. They're just not greedy people. A lot of these people have property management companies. If they're looking for a place to cut costs and make room to spend a little money on improvement, they could fire those greedy companies and save several hundred, several hundred dollars a month. Um, one of the letters you read into the record earlier talks about something about you have to get the tenant out of the way so that you can kind of walk around with booties and clean suits and, and test the property with nobody around so that they don't like disturb the lead. That sounds like taking your car to the mechanic and getting it tweaked so you passed inspection and then going back and getting it untweaked. That doesn't sound like an honest estimation of the user experience. You're going to live in the house and move stuff around. That's how it should be tested. Um, I also don't have a lot of mercy on this generational wealth issue. I'm sitting in the room looking at a lot of people of color that were denied generational wealth. And now I've got a bunch of white people that want to complain about the, co the cost of houses. Our landlord bought this house we live in for thirty-five grand from the sheriff's department. It's worth like more than 200000 today. He's doing all right. I really need some of these people to wake up to that. I got a lot of other stuff in here, but I'm not going to have time for it. Just be fair to some of these suggestions. There are some good ones in the room. The cheap test makes sense. Don't choose mail away corporate Thank welfare when you can do it from Home Depot. Thank you. All right, others wish to be heard? Hello again, my name is Eileen. Um, I just wanted to bring up a couple of points that came, that occurred to me when I was listening to some of the previous comments. Um, one would be that uh, it's not necessary for anyone to offload the costs of this lead paint testing onto um, their residents. That's perfectly up to them. So I wouldn't necessarily say that this is a concern 
um, around the housing crisis, uh, especially since uh, this would not necessarily be an area where you would want to hope to cut housing costs by uh, reducing the uh, steps you take to ensure safety in housing. Uh, additionally, I think that any uh, claims that this would not necessarily uh, improve the rates of catching any housing that might expose residents to uh, lead would only be uh, valid if these landlords were already engaging in the testing recommended, which um, I'm going to venture a guess is probably not what happened. Uh, additionally, I think that the frequency of the testing is important, um, regardless of whether it is landlord neglect or tenant neglect or just an act of nature. Uh, anything could potentially happen that might expose um, some sort of paint somewhere and cause uh, lead exposure to reoccur. So I think the frequency of testing is very important in order to, again, just ensure safety to the highest caliber that our city can. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, others wish to be heard? Hi, City Council. Uh, my name is Sarah Edgington. I'm a third ward. Uh, I live in the third ward. Um, I'm here today to support the, the lead ordinance. I think this is a wonderful first step. Anything that we can do to uh, take care of our children and honor our future um, is, is a great opportunity. I know that this is a hardship on the landlords, but you know when they're charging three <coughs> times the amount of income, I think that they can, it's okay to do that. It's okay to put our children first. Um, and you know, I am part of Parents for Healthy Homes Coalition. This is something we have been talking about for six plus years. Um, and it's about time that we do something and I, I'm very encouraged to see that happen. I'm gonna yield to Tasha. All right, I'm, I'm gonna ask my clerk to restart the time uh, to give you uh, three minutes. Thank you, Sarah. Good evening, my name is Latasha Williams and I definitely support this proposal. Um, I do want to say that I have a son, and I've told my story before. I talk out of emotion, not out of anger, and not out of disrespect. But I had a son that was out lead poison in 1997. And it is ridiculous that we are still trying to put an amount on our kid's head. Who has that right? No one, no landlord. It is ridiculous for us to hear a landlord say that it is a child, it is the mother's fault because a two-year-old was doing what they were supposed to be doing and that was plain. That was it. Oh, and so a mother is not watching their child. I can't turn because a, a kid does what? A kid gnaws. A kid uses hands to mouth continuously. It is time for us to stop talking about it and to do something about it. And if we have to hold the landlords responsible, then we have to hold the landlords responsible. Thank you. All right, others wish to be heard. Hi, welcome. Yes, hello. Um, my name is Frederica Brown. Um, I am part of Parents for Healthy Homes, and we are we have started the Raise the Standards campaign. Dear City Grand Rapids Commissioners, as a resident of Grand Rapids in support of Parents for Healthy Homes, I urge you to pass a lead poisoning prevention and rental inspection ordinance that requires homes to be free of chipping paint and require a lead dust clearance to test homes for beyond the current visual requirement. There is a need for funding allocation to support the ordinance, implementation, and code enforcers training to protect our children. In Grand Rapids, we do not stand for a rental housing that poisoned our children when this is a 100% preventable toxic hazard that impacts children's brain development. 
Our community expects rental housing to be safe from flood hazards, ensuring that children are not lead poisoned because of lack of code enforcement and supportive housing programming. We urge you to pass a lead poisoning prevention rental inspection ordinance to begin the end of I don't know about housing situations with lead. Thank you. Thank you, Frederica. All right, others who should be heard? Hi, I'm Tabitha Williams. I'm a parent in the third ward. That's where I live. That's where I'm going to stay. Um, I'm here today in support of this ordinance. I hope that you adopt it. The reason I, um, I'm up here today because in 2011, I was renting a property that I did not know had lead in it. From that response, my daughter now that's standing here, she went unresponsive on Christmas Day. That's how I was connected to some of the resources, but the harm was already done. As a renter, I had no control on what was going to happen for that house. As an owner, you do. If the ordinance that you had in place that's still in place have not helped our children. We have to take these children for the rest of our lives. We're paying for it, and we've paid for it far too long. All we're asking is that this ordinance be adopted to keep those renters and keep this. You, you win here, too. This is your property. This is your property. I have, thank God I have my daughter today, but she went unresponsive. Nobody's helping me cover the cost. I don't know what her future holds, but I know who holds her future. I'm, not gonna, I'm never going to stop talking about this. It's sad that here we are. It's 2023, and we're still begging for something that should be a right. The code that's in, in place right now doesn't work because I went with my own camera and some of these people shouldn't have been living in the homes that they were living in because visually it was a mess. You can see lead a little bit. You can see cracked paint. Lead was in my soil. There was, there's nobody enforcing these people. There's nobody making sure that the uh, lead abaters, they lead certified and they're removing the paint properly. They putting this lead on the back of a tarp in your backyard that you probably grow food from. We, we need to support this. We're tired of using our children as test dummies. Let's use this ordinance as that. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Williams. Yeah, do you want to speak? Yeah, go ahead. My name is Germany Williams. I'm from Third Ward, and I just want to know when are we going to stop poisoning kids? All right. Thank you for your comments. All right. Uh, others wish to be heard? Hi. Welcome. Hi. My name is Chantel Farrell. I'm a Grand Rapids resident of the First Ward. Um, my daughter was lead poisoned back in 2008. Um, there was nothing in place at that time to support my daughter getting what she needed as far as in housing. As far as with doctors and things like that, there is work that needs to be done all over. There's education that is needed in the medical field in regards to this because it's not being tested like they need to. They're cutting off at the age of five, even though children live in these homes past the ages of five, and they are still being lead poisoned after that. There shouldn't be a cutoff point. They should be tested beyond those points as well. I do support this ordinance for the lead basin, the lead based paint to be inspected in the homes. Um, I've sat on many different um, seats with the health department. I've worked as um, with the Parents Healthy Homes Group. Um, I'm also a small business owner in the community. Um, so I am all about advocating for what is needed for our children. They are our future. 
some people don't understand the effects that it does to you as a child and how it affects you later on when you become an adult. There's mental issues that happen that leads to more run-ins with the police department and things like that. There's training that's needed there because they're unaware of those things when it comes to dealing with those individuals, why they're acting those ways, not knowing that that's a result of them being lead poisoned early on in childhood. They get um, less opportunities for employment because of education. It's harder for them to learn. They have learning disabilities because of this. And for a landlord to sit up here and say that, oh, it's cost too much, it's going to be, it's going to harm them more than help them, that's someone who wants to tuck their tail behind their legs. They don't want to address the problem, but they want to continue to collect money from those individuals. That is unacceptable. Point blank period. If they want to collect rent money from these individuals, they need to do the proper inspections on the home. Stop handing out lead test books to people saying that, oh, there might be lead in this home. Especially when we know 90 to 100 percent of these landlords already know that their homes are lead poisoning. And they are using that as a gray area for them to get by on their tenants. And then when it comes to the fact that the tenants have gotten lead poison, they are doing nothing about it. No one is held accountable. The funding and things that are put in place are not up to par to get the, the help that some of the landlords need because I was a victim of that. I lived in that home. I did everything that I was supposed to do as a tenant. I went to the housing. I went to the health department. I went to housing programs for assistance. And no one could put any, they wouldn't hold him accountable whatsoever at all. That is unacceptable. Something needs to be done, and this ordinance needs to be implemented to make sure it is done. Thank you. And as far as that carbon Thanks. print, that's Thanks. a small amount that will Thank pay you. off over in time. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. All right, others wish be heard? All right. Hi. Uh, hi, my name is Abigail Bartlett. I am not a resident of Grand Rapids, but I spend quite a lot of time down here with a lot of you all. So, um, but let's be real, the rent down here is too expensive. Would love to live here. Um, so I think um, I come here, I'm an organizer. I work with Parents for Healthy Homes. I work with the Grand Rapids Climate Coalition, both in support of this. Um, and I think there's two points that I really want to talk about. One is the idea that the city is really talking about frontline communities and BIPOC communities as taking precedence on how we should be implementing policies. And this policy, while not the best, is at least a start. And going back when the rental ordinance for inspections was implemented, how many landlords didn't want that implemented, right? So there's always going to be pushback on policies, even when it does good. And so I think even the naysayers, um, it's reality. Um, I think we know that in 49507, studies have shown we have high majority of black tenants who are renters, highest numbers in the state of lead poisoned children. This isn't anything new. Many of you have heard this before. Um, and so why we're still talking about it, like many of... Um, my advocates have also said, um, this is an issue that's been going on since, right, lead was banned in paint in 1978. But um, the second one is, so I don't work in organizing anymore. Honestly, it's underpaid. It doesn't do that. I still love the work I do. I work in business. I work in family business and automotive. And so I think there's this juxtaposition between the present reality and making change for a better future. And I see that with automotive. I think mass public transportation is important. And I also fix people's cars to get around in a broken system of transportation. And I think the same can be said with business and housing is that 
you all are the OSHA of housing, right? In all of these industries that we talk about for protecting tenants or workers, that should be the same standard that you hold people accountable to who are business owners renting to people. Um, I think that people will talk about prices. Prices have already increased. So it's kind of a null point. They are Rent will increase regardless of whether this passes. Maybe there's some suggestions that could be implemented. I didn't think they were all bad, so something to think about. Um, I also think life changes, business changes, standards change, and that's the reality of being a business owner and advocate in owning things like that. Um, when things go wrong, you fix it. We don't make tons of money at our business, but we make enough to employ people, to keep our employees safe, to keep that business running. Most of these people who own four properties, I appreciate them. You're not going to make millions of dollars, we know that, but you want to feed your family and support that. This cost is going to be maybe a couple of hundred dollars. It's not an outrageous cost um, to landlords. I think when we talk about housing, I hope that the legacy you think about as city officials is one of people and not profits because the people will remember you and this is your issue as well as the people who are affected and we hope that you pass this ordinance and so that we can make long-term change to support healthy children and healthy families. Thank you. Thank you. Good to see you, Abigail. Thanks. All right, others wish to be heard? Hi, I am Bert Hybor. I am from Georgetown, and I have several rental properties in the area and represent uh, other property owners. I appreciate your service and your time this evening. I just want to start quickly with regard to the dust swipes. The rest of the policy, the visual, that's all fine. The dust swipes add no value. Nothing is accomplished for anybody with the dust swipes, not the landlord, not the tenant, not the city, not healthy homes. Detroit has had some of the most onerous lead inspections in the state since 2010. Since 2010, lead poisoning in Detroit have fallen by 60%. Grand Rapids, since 2010, has fallen by 69%. In 2012, we started the visual inspections. The visual inspections are working. In 2010, 13.1% of the people tested according to MI tracking, 13.1% came back with a parts per billion over three and a half. And in 2021, it was 4.1%. So it's working. Is it working fast enough? Not if your child gets poisoned, it's not. But it is working. Statewide is down 68%, while Detroit with the most strict inspections is down 60%. Barry County with no inspections is down 72%. So I, I think the dust swipes adds over the inspection cycle at $300 per unit, $9 million. In 2021, 6,000 some young people were tested under the age of six. 260 of them were found to have lead poisoning. That's $35,000. We need to laser focus on the problem instead of having a broad approach. We're taking a broad approach to something that at this point needs laser focus on those people that we really need to help, the most vulnerable in our society. I think moving in the wrong direction, which this policy does with the dust swipes, takes our eye off the ball for an amount of time, and instead of drilling down to the problem, we're taking our eye off the ball because we pass a policy that makes us feel good. Landlords, for 25 years, we have been introducing legislation in Lansing to have an environmental recovery fee on every 
part of paint that is sold to help with this problem and it never passes. So we could use your help with that. The MML could help with that. There's other groups that can help with deferring the cost and helping with safe housing. The um, Rochester, one of their recommendations to pass the dust wipe test to move lead from here to there for one moment in time on one specific day is make sure there's no animals in the house. That's how fickle the test is because tomorrow if we come and test the same spot, there's going to be lead dust there. Don't make us spend money simply to push dust. Let's get something accomplished. Thank you. Thank you. All right, others wish to be heard? Hi, my name's Hi. Ed Nowicki. I'm kind of curious about this lead garbage that's coming out. Everybody want to blame it on paint. What is going to happen if I have one, somebody come to my house, request go to my house and test for lead, and I refuse them? We got lead in our water. Our landlord ain't doing nothing about it. Lead don't just come from paint. It comes from other issues. You know, so what's going to happen if I refuse somebody to come to my house? Sir, this isn't an opportunity for us to answer questions. It's just for you to share your opinion with us. Hi, I'm Mark DeVries. I've been a landlord in Grand Rapids for over 45 years. And I've, I've had a couple of uh, houses where we did get the lead out. And uh, I'd be very curious to find out, if we tested them, what is going to be the results? I think they'd have from the soil and that I think they would test just the same as a house that's never been uh, lead remediated. I have a uh, four bedroom house on the southeast side and uh, I have a single mother in there with four kids and I would be willing to put that house up as a test unit and uh, she, Paul Hahn could talk to her and say okay this is what we'll be doing. I don't think on her own, because going back to my experience with the two houses that we did, it looked like you could have an op you could operate. It was that clean, and on uh, one of the occasions, the house still did not pass after so countless man hours, new windows, lead remed you know, new paint, everything. The house still did not pass. So, I'm offering that to the city to uh, use this house to test because if I'm paying two hundred dollars for a lead, taste, a lead test to a private company, and then maybe we're off by five points, two points, whatever, how long before they go and come back and recheck, and is that another $200? And eventually, uh, and someone said, yes, the you know single family homes inspections works well. It does, but also rents have just skyrocketed in Grand Rapids. And the more expense is going to flow on down, and uh, we just don't need to move the dust around. I'm more than willing to uh, work with the city and find out uh, what we can accomplish. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, others wish to be heard? Good Hi. evening. My name is Eliana Bootson. I'm the executive director of Neighbors of Belknap Lookout. You may not know that that neighborhood association is in fact a landlord. We have one rental unit above our office. And we still feel that it is very important to keep our children in the city safe. And the board has voted to support this ordinance change. 
Now, the other piece I want to bring into this conversation actually is that I recently learned um, one of the trash issues that one of the trash solutions that myself and some counterparts brought to you in November could also be addressed by this ordinance. And this particular solution is also one that was supported by the Noble Board. That is to strike the requirement that the landlord provides storage and change it to the landlord must provide trash service. Paying for trash service is often a burden for tenants and leads to some of the littering, some of the dumping that we see in the city and is one way that we can help address it. Thank you for your time. Thank you. And we did receive a letter to that effect, so thank you. All right, others who wish to be heard? Good evening, Mayor Bliss, Commissioners, uh, Manager Washington, and Attorney Hitchcock. Thank you for the time this evening. Uh, my name is Julie Reitberg. I'm the CEO at the Greater Regional Alliance of Realtors, formerly known as and perhaps better known as the Grand Rapids Association of Realtors. Um, interestingly, I tend to talk last at some of these things because I love to get um, the perspective of others who are speaking. And I think I'm finding today or tonight that we probably have more in common than we don't have in common. And that is um, not unlike us in the statement that we've provided to you. Um, we are not just a membership association of business individuals. We are first and foremost mothers, fathers, grandparents, aunts, and uncles. And we take that very, very seriously. As such, we applaud the efforts um, that the city is taking to do something about, many have said, how long has this been around? And, and we don't disagree with that. The difficulty I think we see is that, um, and I also agree with Commissioner Diaz, who said um, it, this all hinges on funding, um, to assume that the mom and pop landlords um, have money that is potentially, we talk about 90% comes from lead paint, um, nobody's ever done, um, nobody's ever experimented, nobody's done a pilot program here locally with, with dust testing. And by definition, dust are particles that um, are from a substance that moves around in the air. So we can't ever guarantee that the dust particles that might be found in dust testing is from paint. So um, we see the difficulty there that this could be a never-ending cycle. We might go in, do a dust test, find it positive, remediate, paint everything in sight, go back for a dust test, and find that it's still positive. Now what? Um, are we left with what? Making, checking the soil around the home? Um, where does it start and stop? Did the neighbor do a remodel project? Um, dust carries in the wind, um, and, and it goes from household to household. We know that. So ultimately, as I said previously, I've provided a statement to all of you by email, with the exception Attorney Hitchcock. I will make sure to get you a copy as well. My apologies. Um, we did identify what are our four major concerns with this. We agree that there's probably something that can and should be done. Um, you haven't seen me speak before this commission, um, I don't think, in the last several years, because we normally like to be um, in the creation process of of being a participant and a partner in these kinds of issues. Um, I, I would love to have been a part of this at the start, and we would like to on a go-forward basis. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Julie. All right, others wish to be heard? Hello, my name is Kevin Wright. I'm the current president of the Rental Property Owners Association. 
and I'm here representing the 1,600 plus members. The RPOA's position is that the current property maintenance code has proven to be effective in reducing the risk of lead-based pain exposure. The belief that adding lead testing will help reduce lead exposure is a false belief. Under the new ordinance, repairs will continue to be made in the exact same manner as they are now, which are being done per EPA's RRP guidelines using encapsulation. Since 1978, encapsulation has been acknowledged as a safe way to reduce risk of lead exposure. Grand Rapids Zone Get the Lead Out program is a great example, which uses encapsulation as its main method for lead paint mitigation. An inspector can visually see encapsulated paint without testing per the proposal. Even when paint is visually encapsulated, the eight-point lead dust test will still be required. Cleaning these eight spots prior to the testing will not make a home any safer. And any paint is that, and if the paint is visually encapsulated, it does not pose a risk per EPA guidelines. Adding either of the testing components will not re help reduce lead cases. It is almost impossible to pass a lead test while a home is, is occupied. The policy requires unnecessary testing once every two, four, or six years when the property is going through its certification pro process. This will result in, in renters being forced to move at that time as housing providers will need to ensure that the units are vacant to pass. All renters, even the elderly who are not at risk and families with children, will be forced to be uprooted. Children may have to change schools. The policy, a policy that steals the ability to create long-term stable housing for children and the elderly is reprehensible. Long-term renters generally enjoy lower rental rates and a lower cost of housing over their lifetime. Every time renters are forced to move, they will be, they will be forced to pay market rates and significantly increase the, their cost of housing. Again, this policy will steal a renter's ability to establish and enjoy the benefits of long-term tenancy. The existing property maintenance code has already proven to be effective in reducing the number of lead cases in children, even as they have reduced the levels considered to be high risk from 15 to 3.5, the number of cases still continue to decline. The existing code is working. The proposed policy is detrimental and the damage it will cause renters cannot be overstated. No one benefits and shamefully only underserved re residents will be negatively impacted. Ultimately, the uh, city commissioners should not adopt the Chapter 12 lead paint proposal when updating the existing property maintenance code. All right. Thank you, Mr. Wright. Thank you. All right, others wish to be heard? Hi, welcome. Hello. Good to <laughs> see Barb you. I'm Barb Lester. Thank you. <laughs> I'm Barb Lester. Um, I live in Kentwood now, but I'm a lifelong resident of Grand Rapids. I grew up on the west side of Grand Rapids in what we'll call the Second and Lexington Heights. And I moved to East Town and lived about 35 uh, years on Dunham Street. I, um, I, a few years ago, when I was working for a neighborhood association in Grand Rapids, I kept seeing uh, painters scraping paint and you know uh, dusting paint off the porch roofs and off of porches nothing was saving it from going into the dirt and I just thought that's I know there's some kind of law about that and I looked it up and I found out a lot more after talking to Paul Hahn and to the housing inspections office and to some other people so I started um, stopping to chat with people that were actually doing this painting and scraping and 
they said, oh, yeah, yeah, we know. We're going to get some tarps out here right away. So they would do that. But when I would go back, I would see that there's chips all over. Nobody cleaned up anything after that. They did put the tarps out. So I started uh, contacting the city of Grand Rapids about the enforcement. And I found out that we, have, we do have laws, and um, the state has laws, and the federal government has laws. But I have to say that it was a failure um, on all of our parts, uh, the city, the state, and the uh, federal government, because one of the things, uh, very little was actually done to enforce it. Our city code required about six, five or six inches of uh, uh, mulch be put on uh, bare earth around the house if there were paint chips in it. Well, that, you know how mulch is. After a year or two, it goes away. Kids play in the dirt. They walk on the grass with their, you know, t um, bare feet. The other thing is, is I would see people literally sanding houses. I called that in because when they're sanding a house, it blows from um, one house to another through the windows. The window sills get the lead dust, and I guess de uh, lead dust is the primary source for a lot of lead poisoning. It's children who are under six really suffer because if, quite often they're never tested. Nobody ever knows why. Um, they, nobody ever knows they have it until maybe when they're adults or whatever. But um, it does things to their brains and their other um, organs. And it can create problems with their IQ, um, their ability to communicate um, with other people, their behavior, and also their organs. Um, it's, and it's something that happens to people who live in rental housing um, because rental housing, they don't have a lot of control over whether um, all that paint that was scraped off the you know, before they moved in, that that the lead was cleaned up. So anyway, I'm going to get off thank that track. Barb, Barb, your time is up, so thank you it so is? much. Oh it my is. God. I'm sorry. But feel free to thank follow you. up with us uh, with an email. Okay, that's, I do, that's true I do for really anyone. support this if you, in case you didn't know. Okay, thank you. thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. And good to see you. Ah, good to yeah. see you, too. Good evening. Hi. My name is Caroline Oakley. I'm a landlord as well as a property manager in Grand Rapids. Boys, are you bored yet? You have no idea what we're talking about here, I'm sure, and you're bored out of your mind. Um, I think every landlord and property manager in this room can agree, we want to provide a safe home to tenants. We want to provide a safe home to children. It's no intent of a landlord to provide an unsafe home that causes harm to children, their health, long term. The issue that I have with this proposal is just the way that we're going about it. I don't disagree that we need to provide safer homes for our children. We need to offer more testing to low-income families, to those children. But it, it, the issue isn't just in rental homes. These children spend how many hours a day in schools, in <coughs> churches, in other, you know, organizations. It's not just the homes that they're living in, daycares. All over the city, there's areas that this is a concern, not just rental homes. I understand you want to start there. Okay, maybe start there, but is there a grant that we can get like the lead line replacement so the burden doesn't fall on the landlord? The last thing a landlord wants to do, especially this year, I'm seeing it all the time, I offered my tenants no increase because I understand it's expensive. For me to get an extra $50 a month, it really isn't that big of a deal. It's worth it to me to keep a long-term good tenant. You spoke earlier about you know, there's no bad tenants. I hate to break it to you, there are. 
tenants do not maintain the properties oh, as if yeah, they you, are there. Can own. you make sure that you're addressing us and oh, not the I audience? I apologize. Right, everyone is allowed their opinion. There are bad tenants out there. There are tenants that don't maintain the homes. I've been in homes. I walked in a home and a mouse ran across the stove and roaches came out from behind the cabinets. That home had not been cleaned in years. That is just poor maintenance. Unfortunately, this was a housing advocacy program that did not properly present and bring these tenants into this home and teach them the standards of living in the United States. But that doesn't mean that the that doesn't mean that the landlord is neglecting to take care of the property. If you do not clean your kitchen in years that there are mice running across the stove because you have fruits and vegetables sitting on your floor, that is not the landlord's responsibility. That is your responsibility as a tenant to properly maintain it. I support trying to do something to better the community and create safer homes for children. However, if there's a better way we can go about this so the burden doesn't fall on the landlord, I think that is our best approach. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right, others wish to be heard? Hi, Good welcome. Hi. Mayor, uh, City Commission, Carl Sanders. I'm uh, from uh, just north of Grand Rapids here, and I am um, well, a member of RPOA. Um, it was stated earlier about tenants and whatnot, and yeah, there's good ones and bad ones. I've had them all, my family's seen it. But more to the point with lead, if we truly are going after safety for our children, then you'll make it effective across all structures, not just one, if you're truly going for that. Any idea how many structures in the city of Grand Rapids fall under that age period? I would say you're probably in the 60 to 70 percent. So that's a lot of individual homes. So my point is, is if you're truly going for this, that's what you need to do, okay? And also, it's fun poking fingers at people, but the city of Grand Rapids has got to take care of their lead pipes too. Because um, I've had to hand my tenants say, hey, here you go, City of Grand Rapids, we've got lead lines, and I made them aware of this. So, my point is, if you're truly going for this, then enact it for all structures, okay? And then the other thing I would say is, my tenants, I've got, my shortest tenant that I have had is five years. I've got some that are over 20. So I should speak to how good I do. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Sanders. All right, others wish to be heard? Hi, welcome. Peace. Uh, I am Foster. I uh, live in Grand Rapids, and I live across from MLK Park. I think we've been going about it the wrong way, because, like, you guys don't actually care about whether people uh, should not have access to lead. So what I want to do is, like, let you guys know that dogs are also being affected by lead, guys. The signs of lead poisoning in dogs include behavior changes, lethargy, aggression, constant snapping, seizures, hysteria, hiding in dark areas, and depression. No dog should have to face depression, guys. Nothing, I mean, they're also frothing at the mouth. There's anorexia, lack of appetite, weight loss, vomiting, and diarrhea. Uh, 
Just think about that. When you guys are thinking about the lead, you don't care about the people, think about the dogs. Thank you. All right. Others who wish to be heard? How you doing, everybody? My name is DeAndre Jones. I like your true religion outfit. I like horses. But I wanted to speak about this lead ordinance because we have more lead paint on the homes of the 49507 than the Flint water crisis. Now, I don't know what Rick Snyder is doing nowadays, but hopefully he don't send no goons to my house because if we have to go die hard like Avengers, I'll die hard for the community for sure. But one thing I don't like is when... Uh, these nice uh, white people come here in their suits and they complain about these things like do you know what poverty is like do you know what do you know what it is like to really be struggling to grow like to have kids having having kids grow up in an impoverished neighborhood where it's when you want three times the rent and people can't afford it and they got to hustle and do illegal things to even make their rent do you guys understand that because you don't. You probably grew up in a nice home, a nice little rich area, you know what I'm saying? You got houses on the 49507. What does it take for you guys to be in compliance and create healthy homes for the next generation of those young families, that, that young mom or that, that young dad? What, why, is that, why is that a problem? Why is it a problem when you guys, I'm pretty sure your house is very nice. I'm pretty sure you got a healthy home. I'm pretty sure you do. I just want you guys to just really consider renovating these houses and, and, and making sure that they're in, in code and compliance because you got young kids that are growing up, they got lead painted, they're scratching their faces and they're, they're you know, doing all of this. And, and that goes to their brain, like lead paint goes into people's brains. I'm pretty sure you guys like to think, I'm pretty sure you guys love having a brain. Think about the other people that are, that are struggling. Do you know what poverty, I grew up on SSI. You can't tell me about no struggle. You can't tell me about no struggle straight up. I grew up on social security income. Consider these people that stay on the south side. I'm tired of this. I get tired of y'all coming up here complaining. Come talk to us. I get tired of city commission. I get tired of these people coming up here and complaining about things that they can fix. It's easy. It's very easy to go there and fix these homes. It's easy to get those lead paints. It's a certification. Sorry I didn't take the certification class that you guys had uh, just recently, but the National Civic League was here. And what was the chances of me connected with the National Civic League? I can always take that class, but I won't be able to always connect with the National Civic League for equity and changing my community and being a change I want to see. Y'all act like it's really a hard thing to get in compliance with these, with these housing codes. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Jones. All right, others wish to be heard? We'll take uh, one more comment and then I'll close this public hearing. Uh, no, I would like to speak, please. Uh, Hello, uh, my name is Nick. I live in Grand Rapids uh, on the southeast side in Burton Heights. Um, I don't think we should move ahead with this. Uh, currently, the house I live in, there's an upstairs unit. I've got a strong relationship with my tenant. Uh, we're both single men. We don't have any children to be affected by the lead. So this would just, it would just be an undue burden cost for both of us, and it wouldn't really help either of us. Um, I don't think we should move ahead with it. I think we have bigger problems in this city, uh, especially living there. Again, that's Burton Heights. Uh, Captain Dixon of the GRPD said that that's the highest level of, or highest amount of street level violent crime in the city. So I have a hard time with the lead paint for the children because 
I don't know who with children would want to move in to Burton Heights when we have so much crime problems. And I think the lead that we should be worrying about is not the lead in the paint. It's the lead flying on the streets. Uh, that's all I have to say. All right. Thank you, Nick. Brandon, I'll let you uh, give public comment, and then I'm going to close this public comment period because we do have another opportunity for public comment. I want to make sure I get to that. Uh. <sighs> <sighs> um, I didn't start speaking. Please give me my three minutes. You're, you made an no, audio note. You made an audio okay. note. No, I didn't. Brandon, don't argue. Don't argue. I was going to. Give me my three minutes. Br Brandon, speak. I will. Okay. okay. I'm it's, giving It's going. I'll wait. Brandon, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this chance to speak, or I'm going to close this Thank public you. comment down. Thank you. 1978. They buy a used product. And yet they have the audacity to come in here, threaten you with their numbers, threaten you with their membership, and do what? Not even acknowledge much about the pain, the deep pain, the structural racist violence. National news. Flint, why, why not us? Why did you not sound the alarm? Why are we not associated with this? Hmm? Why? Why is it still an issue? 15% in 2017. 15% of kids in Grand Rapids, two out of three, were black. Two out of three. In the 49507 that I just got up here and talked about, how you didn't and won't and cannot confront the landlords ultimately, who some of them were the ones to admit that this policy is 40% of the city. It, that's a random number, but it's not 100 you don't even cover the whole city with how much lead there is. There is a deep crisis here. And, and we're talking about a solution of just testing? What about the consequences of decades of abuse of these people? What about going back and finding them and saying, hey, you were affected by this. You deserve money. A, collect, a class action lawsuit is necessary. And the people who created this last policy that allowed landlords to obfuscate the, the enforcement mechanisms that should be there in state law, what happened? They say, oh, we don't need to tell you. There, there might be lead paint here. There might be. And that allowed for another decade of abuse. Six years since big, articulate articles, hundreds of activists. What do they have to do? We can shout. But like on every other issue in this city, centralized control, the haves versus the have-nots, the many versus the few. But things are changing. And today you got to see the landlords come and ask you. The landlords had to actually come to the city commission, not like me who's here all the time, because I need you and you do nothing. Ultimately, the people drowning, you can't wait. Months of policy, years while kids tonight Lead paint. And this audacity, this anger, it's not personal. You weren't the ones in 1978, but you are part of a system. And in your silence, you are violent. In your silence, you are violent. And in your inability, you need to be the loudest, okay? If anything's going to truly get done in its immediacy, you need to be loud. And this is pathetic. 
All right, I'm going to close that public uh, hearing, uh, and we will move to the last opportunity for public comment. Uh, so this is public comment on any other item that you want to be heard on tonight. Uh, we ask that you uh, respect the same rules that I, I shared earlier. They still remain up on the wall. Uh, we ask that you share your name, the city that you live in. Uh, you'll be given up to three minutes to speak. Uh, and I'll say to the Boy Scouts as they get up and ready to go, nice to meet you all. Glad you were here tonight. And... Uh, as I said earlier, I'm happy to follow up with any questions that you might have at a later date. I'm gonna let it tone down real quick. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. All right. I'm going to ask everyone just as you leave to keep it quiet because I am going to move on with this last opportunity for public comment. Uh, so, Mr. Jones, why don't you get us started off on our last opportunity for public comment tonight? How you doing, everybody? My name is DeAndre Jones. I would have got here early, but I got some sandwiches uh, from the launch party. And uh, I drove them downtown to people that didn't have a home that was sleeping on the concrete. So the sandwiches that you guys had at the community master plan launch party, uh, I gave those sandwiches to people that didn't have a home. And they were literally were like vultures on those sandwiches. And they were like, thank you. Like, we didn't have no food. And, you know, God bless you. I'm a spiritual person. I really don't believe in religion. I'm a, I believe in the universe. But everybody uh, experiences the world differently. Uh, I'm just really excited um, to update you guys on the um, eSports competition I'll be doing at the Four Star Theater. So, so far I've got a grant from the West Michigan Sports Commission for $1,000. I was just in the Grand Rapids Business Journal for it again, so it's my second time, maybe third time's the charm. We'll see, though. And then I got a grant from uh, another organization for another $1,000. I'm just really excited to create opportunities and bring eSports to our community because it's been a long time coming. I've uh, worked hard. Uh, spend a lot of nights up just uh, just networking and going to different events and uh, just trying to get the best of the best resources to help grow our community and uh, create opportunities for people um, of all colors, all walks of life. I look forward to working with the Grand Rapids Police Department, our Sheriff's Department to uh, strengthen our community and build some sense of trust, uh, some sense of community and uh, getting people to realize that uh, police are gamers too and they're just as human as you. They just have a job that you guys probably wouldn't want to do. I don't want to do their job either. But um, I'm just really, really excited for this and I will never apologize for being passionate or yelling at those people in those suits. I mean everything that I say and I stand on business, ten toes down, boots on the ground, straight up. Everybody knows that. It was cool to see the participatory budgeting process at the uh, Committee of the Whole because I was a leader. Who knows? Everybody knows about the PBGR because of D. Jones. Like, I was the guy, and it was cool to be the voting coordinator. 17, I mean, 1,700 votes. It's like, what, like 1% of the city? We got like 200,000 people. But I'll take that because those people uh, had, a, had a voice. Those people had ideas. And um, I would do it again. I wouldn't change it. in no way that I did it and how I engaged the community and how I was able to give back. And um, while that work was so important to me is because I grew up on SSI. Like I said, I'm not ashamed to tell you that I grew up on SSI and I grew up struggling and I used to argue with my mom about a couple hundred dollar checks and I used to cry tears because the struggle was real and I don't think you ever can feel the pain that I felt growing up. But just being able to take initiative and have the community vote on where uh, public funding and government funding went, um, 
I, w- I would love to do that again. And if I ever could, I'd do it again. Uh, I just really look forward to giving back to our community and uh, strengthening our community. And I hope everybody have a good night. Thank you, Mr. Jones. All right, others wish to be heard? Just a little bit for it. Thank you. Thank you, DeAndre. Hi, welcome. It's good to see you. How you doing? My name is Sidney Deans. I'm somewhat puzzled. Uh, I seen you to all the streets up in Carano, and then I heard, I heard in the you know in the neighborhoods in Carano that y'all was gonna uh, put new water lines in. But come to find out, you know, y'all covered the streets back up, and no water lines went in. Uh, because we have a problem with our water. No water shouldn't smell like the water that come out of these faucets. <coughs> no water should smell like that, you know? And, and uh, it's so full of chlorine and all that, you know. Chlorine is not the best for your health in reality. Now, also, I want to speak on your, your wastewater treatment plant. Now, you peoples are stewards over this people, over this, over this land in Kenon around here, and the water out there. The water going out there in that river is not clean enough to support life. Y'all done killed off almost two entire species of fish. The, uh, the minnow, the silver minnow, the uh, sucker, and the carp, they just about gone. Just about to wipe them out. You put a new new filtering system on that, and uh, hey, do what you're supposed to do for this people you call yourself being good stewards over, and change these bad water lines and get those and get those lead pipes out of their homes. That's what you should be doing instead of going out here trying to uh, tear a dam down and make a playground. Serve the people like you're supposed to. All right, thank you for your comments. Others wish to be heard? <clears throat> Hi, welcome. Hi, so my name is Gloria Cook. I'm from the Second Ward. Um, I am also a volunteer at the North End Community Pantry. And as such, we do see some people that need help other than with pantry. So in talking to this gentleman the last few weeks, um, he has a story. He did not want to bring it here, but it is on housing. I asked him if I could write down his story and present it. He said, fine. He didn't want to give his name, but if somebody asked, I have his name. So this is his story, not from me. So he is 63 years old. He's a resident living in an efficiency off Plainfield in the Crescent neighborhood area. He has Section 8. Originally rented from XL Property four years ago. Had a yearly lease he signed once and was not asked to sign again. He had no problems with this landlord. A problem with plumbing was fixed at no cost to him. His monthly rent was $700 and he always paid on time. About five months ago, United Property came out to look and he was told that they were buying the property. This renter did not receive information as to where to send his rent. 
He did not receive a new lease agreement. He researched the company and found their address. The rent was raised to $800. When he took his money order to the company, he was told there was an additional $15 a month for paying by a money order. Last month, after the winter storm, he did not have, pop, he did not have water. They came out and took care of the problem. It was due to the downstairs tenant leaving and the water being turned off. He still did not have water to the toilet, however. He was told perhaps the water valve to the toilet was turned off. Tenant checked around the toilet and it was open. He was told that if they came out and found the valve was closed, he would be charged to, for the visit. To this day, he still is using a bucket to empty the toilet. Tenant did go to the office in person to request maintenance, and he was told, you have to go online to fill out a maintenance request form. Well, can you do that for me because I don't have internet? No, you have to go online. So tenant, um, so then he had another pro plumbing problem was a kitchen sink was stopped up. He reported that it always ran slow. They came out and they looked at it. They told him he was pouring grease down it. And then about two weeks ago, he, he received an eviction notice stating he was behind on his rent. And then he learned that they had taken $322.90 from his rent to pay the plumbing. He contacted an attorney who advised him to pay the amount. Last week he contacted city ordinance compliance who said they will be out, but he, they have not come out. So his general observation is that there is high income apartments being built on, on Plainfield, and he feels like, and he just wonders if this is trying to get him out of the yeah. city. So these are, part, these are the problems that people have. Melinda, do you want to say yeah, that? Yeah, can you share that with us, please? We'll have our city attorney follow up. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Gloria. All right, others wish to be heard? Hi, welcome. Hello, uh, my name is Marcel Fable Price, and I'm the chief inspiration architect with the diatribe. I was originally coming here to continue to urge you guys to be innovative and think out of the box. Um, but I don't want to be somebody who voices uh, my discontent without offering solutions. Um, as you heard from a numerous amount of people, there's a huge issue in the 49507 with lead. Uh, recently, we did a project called the 49507 project, which a lot of you guys know about. Um, and as we were doing this project, we were testing some of the buildings in the neighborhood, the commercial properties. And some of the commercial properties that we came across indeed had lead in them. Um, and we didn't only abate the lead before we did the murals, but those steps need to be taken. A lot of these kids, they play in these spaces where these abandoned buildings buildings are, where these abandoned churches are, where these blighted businesses are. And I think that we can be innovative by doing things like partnering with DTE when they go around and do electric checks. Can we check the outside of every single one of these homes? Can we work with the, the Grand Rapids Fire Department when they're doing um, carbon monoxide tests to test the walls inside every single one of these homes? How do we make an initiative to check the outside of every single home in the 49507? How do we make an initiative to check the inside of every single business, every single church, every single residence in the 49507. Again, I believe that we have the resources and the people power to be able to do this. When I come and I urge you guys to be innovative, um, again, I see the city spend so much dollars when it comes to hiring these consultants from all over the country, from Seattle, from Denver, etc. Again, we have the talent. We have the people who care about the community enough and who are in the community enough to help come 
come up with solutions. Again, help us get the resources so that we can employ the people to come up with ideas so that we can get these issues done. In 2016, I wrote a poem about the lead issues in Grand Rapids that went all over the news and all over everywhere. And again, we're talking about these issues and we continue to not make the dent that we should. A lot of these landlords, hearing them talk, um, the way that they were about people, for example, in Burton Heights, an area that is not only riddled with blight, but the reason why it has such complex issues is the lack of investment. Again, it's dangerous to walk as a pedestrian. Again, all, our business district is least invested in versus any other area in the entire city of Grand Rapids, right? And it's important that we develop these areas where the people live there and that we pour into these places while people live there. Um, and if any of you guys need help coming up with ideas, um, a lot of you guys have our emails, right? Please let us know how we can help you become innovative and, and so that we can get a lot of these issues solved because they can be solved. We have more resources than problems. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your comments, Marcel. Hi, welcome. Hello, my name is Gleason, and I'm the leader of educational programming of the Diatribe, and I've lived and worked in Grand Rapids for the last 16 years. In 2014, Forbes named Grand Rapids the second best city to raise a family in the country. Last year, we made a similar list put out by Detroit's Rocket Homes Realty. However, in 2015, Forbes ranked Grand Rapids as the second worst city for black Americans economically. In 2018, a Grand Rapids study revealed that black residents are twice as likely to be pulled over by police despite making up a much smaller percentage of the population. With rampant gentrification, rising rent, as well as continued police violence, we can see that our city within a city is still just that. The southeast redlined area of our city at best has been left behind and at worst has been targeted in terms of police presence, predatory lending, and development that displaces residents that have called the area home for generations. When I think about these issues, when I see, black, when I see black and queer identities and histories being politicized and silenced across the country, it is easy to be discouraged. When I think about the recent discrimination our organization experienced in regard to the targeted denial of ARPA funds by the Kent County mission, it is easy to feel defeated. But I'm not here to talk about defeat, discrimination, and hardship. I'm here to talk about opportunity and hope. We often tell the young people in our poetry programs that they can be the change they want to see in their schools and their neighborhoods and in the world. We tell them that change can begin with their imaginations and a pen. We tell them that, that sharing their stories and experiences in spaces like this can make a difference. Despite the recent discrimination we experienced, I still believe that or I wouldn't be standing here today this evening speaking on behalf of a project that has the potential to change the way cities view and implement development. A project that revolutionizes the way we approach rent. A project that is truly equitable, benefiting those who have been most harmed by a flawed system. In our Writing to Write Wrongs program, we teach young people about the importance of housing, how it impacts every aspect of our lives. We give them writing prompts that guide them to reflect on their neighborhoods and to talk about what the idea of home means to them. After growing up queer in Hudsonville, it was here in Grand Rapids in a hole-in-the-wall gay coffee shop where I found my people, where I found my community, and where I truly felt at home for the first time. I believe that, Emory, that the Emory Arts and Culture Hub will be that space for countless others, including young people who live on the southeast side of Grand Rapids. It will be home to black and brown entrepreneurs and change makers. It will be a programmatic space of learning and growing, fostering business and creativity and events for and by the community in, in which it exists. It will be home, both literally and figuratively, built on principles of equity and longevity. I believe that we can be the change that we want to see. I believe that my voice is powerful, that all of the voices in this room are powerful, and I believe that the voices of the next generation are powerful, and I stand here today in recognition of the power that each of you hold. 
And I hope that when it comes to remaining ARPA dollars, you will consider distributing those in the southeast side of Grand Rapids in the 4507 and keeping the Emory Arts and Culture Hub in mind. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. All right, others wish to be heard? Hello. Hi. My name is Nalisha, and I'm a resident of Wyoming. I came here for the first time in January to speak about the Salvation Army, which I like to call the Starvation Army because they starve people of resources. I told y'all that homeless lives matter, and homeless lives matter, period. This anger isn't directed towards you guys, but I haven't seen my daughter in almost four years because I was told I would have to sleep outside. I have homeless... Um, a homeless definition, this is HUD's criteria for defining homeless. Nowhere does it say a parent would have to sleep outside first before they qualify for assistance. I spent 399 nights between Mel Trotter Ministries and Degaget Ministries. They're both congregate shelters, and according to Category 1, literally homeless, I qualified. My mother's church paid for my motel room twice. A church is a nonprofit charitable organization with the 501c3 tax exempt status from the IRS. I was still denied. So 399 nights between, between two cron excuse me, congregate shelters, 40 days or so, I had a homeless status was, that was transient, never got help. So you mean to tell me that the Salvation Army couldn't help me and I spent well over a year trying to get on my feet and to reach a level of self-sufficiency? Like I said the last time I was here, collectively speaking, they own $11.3 billion. There's absolutely no reason why people like me should be separated from my child. Contrary to popular belief, not all homeless people are sidewalk bums looking for a handout. A lot of us come from generational poverty. I was physically assaulted in the seventh grade, which resulted in a fractured education, but I'm not my fractured education. I'm far more intelligent than my fractured education. I spent years learning, three, learning things through autodidacticism, which is self-learning. So you have... The city of Grand Rapids, where you have homelessness skyrocketing, and you have nonprofit organizations like Mel Trotter, Degaget, Family Promise that own millions of dollars in assets while simultaneously denying assistance to countless homeless people. I never should have been separated from my daughter, and I don't care if I'm 86, spinning in a hover round with bad vision. I'm still going to fight the Starvation Army because they got money to help people. And quite frankly, I'm exasperated because I've been fighting this organi organization for years by myself. United Way, Coalition to End Homelessness. Like I said, I followed the chain of command from Grand Rapids to the United Kingdom. Nobody wants to help. I've protested twice by myself. My mother is almost 71. She protested. I'm going to keep speaking out because too many people are homeless and not getting help. Period. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. All right. Makes no sense. Hi, welcome. Hi, uh, I'm Ellie Jones, and I live in Grand Rapids in the Third Ward. Um, very recently, there was a young boy who lived in a war-torn country. He fled with his parents, hoping to find safety, and after several years, he came to the United States, where they were granted asylum. The then young man and his family worked odd jobs to build new lives for themselves here. But unfortunately, his life was brutally taken from him. 
He was unarmed with a policeman on top of him and he was shot in the back of the head. This is the tragic and familiar story of the killing of Patrick Leoya. After that killing, Patrick's mother said that when they were in the Congo, quote, we were in an area that was not safe. There was a war. And I thought that I had come to a safe land, a safe place, end quote. Like I said, my name is Ellie Jones. I am a senior studying social work at Calvin University, and I'm pursuing a career in law. I have had the honor to intern at Justice for Our Neighbors Michigan, where I have worked with several Congolese clients who have stories that are very similar to Patrick's, um, where they have escaped atrocious violence and come from refugee camps. I'm here today to ask you to further uh, address the public safety crisis that is the racialized violence and militaristic culture of the GRPD. So firstly, I would like to turn your attention to the GRPD's response to the killing of Patrick Loyoya. Chief Winstrom said that he didn't have a reason to believe that the prosecutor was wrong in charging Sher with second-degree murder. However, behind official statements from the GRPD, there are countless officers who do not see any wrong in Sher's actions. The Grand Rapids Police Officers Association, or GRPOA, has expressed their unequivocal support for Officer Sher, and they are actively fighting for his acquittal. Their Facebook profile is a black and blue picture of Sher with the hashtag StandWithSher. In scrolling through the top posts on this page, you can read, Chris and Brandy, the GRPOA will continue to support you and stand with you. You have committed no crime and you will be acquitted. You have already decreased police funding and rightfully so. You also redirected some of those funds to the Office of Oversight and Public Accountability, or the OPA. The City Commission has responded to the census killing and to the outcry from their community. However, the 2023 budget still directs 34.1% of the general fund to police without the OPA in consideration. 34% is excessive, especially for a police force in which many officers do not see any wrongdoing in Patrick's murder. In an analysis of several studies on policing and crime, Kubina Dungy and Jones Brown identify that a lack of social resources, rather than racial identity, is what is correlated with increased crime rates. The main conclusion of their study was that the combination of the continued use of policing as racialized social control and the warrior-style policing that exists in our country are the main factors that lead to the police brutality that we see play out. They recommend moving funding from police into social services okay. that would address the issues, and I recommend you do the same. Thank you. Thank you, Ali. All right, others wish to be heard? Hi, welcome. Hi. Uh, All right. Let, let's let it go ahead. Uh, good evening. My name is Lisa Dottie, and I'm the head of licensing of Jars Cannabis. On Friday, February 17th, Grand Rapids City Manager, Deputy City Manager, Deputy City Attorney, Planning Director, and City Staff met with several Grand Rapids operators to hear our feedback regarding the cannabis industry, um, CICV agreement, as well as the administrative policy that took effect on January 1st. We would like to thank everyone at the city that attended and express gratitude for the platform that operators were given to gain clarity as well as express frustrations and concerns about cannabis policy. Our industry now has a better understanding of items that can be changed administratively as well as items that are commission initiated policy changes. We look forward to highlighting our key, area, key areas of concern and engaging with the commission at a later date as we believe policy amendments will result in a stronger cannabis industry in Grand Rapids. Thank you again for all of your time and uh, listening to us. Thanks. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, others wish to be here? Hi, I'm Joseph Hall, um, and I love people. Um, 
I'm interested in running for office, being a public servant. Um, I kindly ask that you please hear me out today. There needs to be change locally, regionally, nationally, and worldwide. First of all, I want to see people empowered and not enabled. Sometimes systems are supposed to be the solutions to the problems turn out to solve nothing. Let me begin by stating, there are people that have been at Mel Trotter and Degage for years consecutively. I've talked to a lot of them on the west side where I live in downtown. Um, some have been there five years, eight years, etc. Um, they still throw people out if they don't wake up on time with a 30-day ban. People have told me, and a few weeks ago, people told me that three people are frozen outside already this year. Um, I know that the homeless need food, shelter, gloves, etc. God's given them all gifts and talents. He has a plan and purpose for each of them. They need mentors, people to go into the shelters and the ones that just are on the streets to reach them as well. They need jobs, training, some even college. I know Guiding Light does have their job board program and their residencies dependent on working there, but I'm not sure if it's too short term, like because it's just a couple weeks. An Exodus place charges the low-income people a lot of money to stay there, plus food or their food stamps. Um, how many people get stuck there as well for years? And the Salvation Army's homeless program uh, helps people get off drugs and alcohol, but they have to work there, and I don't know if they get paid or if it's, it's really like slave labor. Um, I feel like Mel Trotter and Degage just enable, and they get tons of money. Where are the incentives and the help for the people to get clean that are on drugs and alcohol? Where is the community help with jobs, housing, true rehabilitation? There needs to be accountability. I'm willing to personally talk to each person in Heartside and on the West Side and citywide that I can find the stays on the streets and the shelters and find out just how many months or years they've been homeless. Um, I know they tell them to go to community builders to get housing vouchers and to get Section 8, but I don't want people to stay in poverty forever. Um, and the shelter's check-in time kind of messes up with work schedule because we have a 24-hour economy. And I know that school kids, especially middle and high school kids, need mentors. Teachers and guidance counselors can only do so much they can't do it all. They need encouragement and to know that they're valued and need it. Um, I'd like to kickstart change locally first and then do it regionally, nationally, globally. So many of the churches I know they're going after the same people, and they give like food to the homeless, and they're going after Stockton because that's where I live, and some um, Harrison Park, but not after like Westwood or Union. Um, United we stand, divided we fall. Um, thank you. So many other Ms. schools Ms. I know have no outreach at all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Yep. Thank you for your comments. Appreciate it. Thanks. Nice meeting you. All. Nice to meet you. Have a good night. Have a good night. Thanks. You ought to know by now, Lucas, from across the river. Dissent is the highest form of patriotism, Howard Zinn. Here's a curveball for you. I'll throw a Republican in there. A good, hard-hitting dissent keeps you honest, Antonin Scalia. These statements are applicable tonight as I call your attention to my bid to serve on various boards and commissions. Yesterday, President's Day, I submitted my application and the timing brings to mind President Lincoln's cabinet of rivals. That historic example reminds us to surround ourselves with dissenting voices if we truly want a diverse set of ideas and points of view. 
I've always sought not simply to confront bad ideas or harmful traditions, but to offer solutions, and that's why you've seen me submit pages upon pages of outlines and suggestions about a variety of ways to handle challenges this city faces, or submitting found website mistakes just to help out. If you're truly looking for people to get involved and not just complain, well, hello again. Some might be shocked that I'd imagine myself in an official role. To those people, I would say this. You probably don't know me at all. There is no singular identity that applies to any of the whole of any person these days. In fact, anybody who's one-dimensional to me would not be very much help right about now. <laughs> I ask you to acknowledge the reality of our times. Recent elections have proven the people clearly, clearly desire outspoken voices for change on decision-making bodies. The qualifications are clear. I was active in many organizations prior to relocating to GR. Here, I've recently joined the board of the West Grand Neighborhood Organization, and I serve on the board of the Grand River Makerspace. Commissioner Purdue introduced herself to this chamber as a yes and leader. I like that, but I'm yes and all. Yes to this, yes to that, for all. I've consistently expressed affection for, for Grand Rapids. My interest in levering my, leveraging my lived experience from a period of unprecedented growth and success back in Nashville means that I know what's coming to this city in the next decade and beyond. It would be an honor to serve, and I ask you to give earnest consideration to mine and the applications of similar folks. I also encourage anybody in the community who desires change to apply as invited, just like I have, and if our leaders truly seek a spectrum of voices in GR, they'll offer every one of us a seat. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Leverett. All right, others wish to be heard. My name is Joyce P. Gibson, and I'm running for governor in 2026. I've come to talk about how I don't like Proposal 3, then go into a little bit of a brief message on Donald Trump. Proposal 3 exploits the innocence of our youth. It entices them to making mature decisions that usually lead to, um, that usually lead, lead to, um, uh, depression and suicide. Some kids are at age 10 or 11 making decisions as far as procedures, transgenders, children making decisions on procedures to stunt their growth and the maturation time. And others, little girls, making decisions on abortions. All of them have decided and all of them reap the repercussions of having these decisions as making generational irreputable responses to what they have done. Going to Donald Trump. Donald John Trump, the 45th president of the United States, is a is an Ashkenazi Jew. He said in front of the camera that that um during his presidency that he's that that he got in front of the camera and said that um that the COVID-19 was a symptom of Kung flu. He also ordered that the 
two, that Colin Kaepernick and two other Afro-American football players who dropped to their knees and raised their hands in the fist to recognize black power should be take, should be ordered as hoodlums and and thugs and taken off the field. Donald Trump has lied to the Americans. He's also fooled around or had affairs with prostitutes. He has um, he is in, was involved in human trafficking. He doesn't care about the ozone. He doesn't care about um, uh, harassing voters at the uh, at the polls. All this, all this, he, this guy is doing at the amusement of himself in our country's expense. The only good thing that Donald Trump did was appoint pro-life justices to the Supreme Court. So I, 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 I adjure you, I advocate for you to vote Republican or vote Democrat, but please don't vote Donald Trump. All Thank right. you. Thank you. All right, others wish to be heard? Hello again, my name is Aliana Bootsen. Let's call this one my personal professional opinion. Um, my other comment this evening is for commissioners serving on the Community Development Committee, Commissioners Robbins, Knight, and Moody. I believe you'll be having a work session soon to determine the recommended allocations for neighborhood associations and other organizations providing community services under the Federal Community Development Block Grant. I could tell you my personal conclusions for Neighbors of Belknap Lookout, but really my point is that each organization deserves some amount of control over their allocation. I don't want you to reach a formulaic conclusion for everyone based solely on my preferences, so I'll try to boil it down. The prosperity data for the community master plan tells us that it takes an income of $48,000 a year to afford an apartment that costs $1,000 a month. It also tells us that it takes an income of sixty dollars to $65,000 a year to afford a mortgage in Grand Rapids. This is relevant because the usual total allocation across two programs for many of the funded neighborhood associations comes to less than the smallest of those figures. There are clear indications of the strain system-wide and the tremendous staff turnover that has taken place over the last several years. There are also personal stories that are not mine to tell, so let's substitute the slogan, one job should be enough to live on. So let's talk process. These organizations have been told that we can't be allocated more than we ask for. Therefore, several of us have taken the time to determine what it should truly cost to be responsible employers and to operate successful, well-resourced programs. We know it can't all come from CDBG. But there may also be opportunities to streamline administrative burden for both grantees and the city's community development staff. Yes, it is absolutely your prerogative to determine the total bottom line of funding across programs for each organization. My ask tonight is that you stop doing what we've always done by mandating the same allocation across programs. Neighborhood needs change, context changes, and they vary by organization. So the next slogan I'll share, nothing about us without us. We are grateful for this funding. We would be hard pressed to do what we do without it but they are our programs. We deserve to make the decisions, each individual organization for themselves, about how to best allocate funds between them. So I urge you to ensure that each organization's choice is honored in the next community investment plan. Thank you. All right, thank you. Good evening again. Daniel Scott, of course, longtime resident of Grand Rapids. Well, my real identity again is I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
again, Scripture says, Holy Scripture, Whosoever shall offend one of these little ones who believe in me, Jesus is speaking, it were better for him that a millstone was hung about his neck and he was drowned in the depth of the sea. Before I forget, by the way, we have a free clothing distribution this Saturday out of our church on South Division, 229, uh, Division Street Fellowship, corner of uh, Division and Williams. Everyone's invited. Uh, just wanted to honor Black History Month once again. And again, to remind you what Martin Luther King Jr. said, quote, how can the dream survive if we murder the children? Every aborted baby is like a slave in the womb of his or her mother. The mother decides his or her fate. Once again, 1,000 precious black babies are murdered on average every day in the United States of America. Since 1973, the murder of black babies in the womb equal more than all other causes of death in the black community. I just wanted to share in honor of Black History Month, other prominent black leaders and politicians that were pro-life. Sojourner Truth, Frederick Douglass, Fannie Lou Hammer, Harriet Tubman, founder of the Underground Railroad, Dr. Mildred Faye Jefferson, Louisiana State Senator Katrina Jackson, Benjamin Watson, Alveda King, I think she's the granddaughter of Martin Luther King Jr. Also, Dr. Mildred Jefferson, first black woman to graduate from Harvard Medical School. She also made history as a founder of the pro-life movement and one of the first presidents of the National Right to Life Committee. She is given accolades for turning Ronald Reagan from a pro-death politician to a pro-life politician. And one last local black giant. Leslie King, founder of uh, Sacred Beginnings, rescuing women and children off the streets of Grand Rapids. We've had the privilege to partner with her. Do all you can to support her. Thank you. All right, others wish to be heard? Brandon from Grand Rapids, born and raised. I have a very strong connection uh, with Malcolm X, who also was a debater, and uh, I think those skills helped him and heightened him, and I'm very excited to see all these advocates. The city is indeed changing, and tonight I speak to my community, to Grand Rapids. I love Grand Rapids. Everyone in Grand Rapids. Love is an action, and we have strength. The city commission is a puppet on a string. They hardly have control. And we have many advocates, many people who are rising up, who can clarify with intent, with aim, purpose, and power. We are rising. You don't stick a knife in a man's back nine inches 
and then pull it out six inches and say you're making progress. No matter how much respect, no matter how much recognition white show towards me as far as I'm concerned. As long as it is not shown to every one of our people in this country, it does not exist for me. And in honor of this month, and in honor of truth and love, I say, do more. And I know you can. And I know that we do our best. As human beings, you do the best with the knowledge you have, and you have pressures. But there is great promise, even in all of you up here. You have the knowledge. You have deep strength. And I see your deep potential as deeply as I see my own. I am conscious. I am awake. I know where I stand. And my power is this voice. And it is for you. Truly, it is for you. I, I, it sounds mean, and you're in positions of power. And for that, you're in my way. But I love you. Believe me. And in some ways, in the future, I might end up taking a bullet. And it's for you. It's for you, Rosalind Bliss. And it's for you, Mark Washington. And this is some serious stuff, is it not? People's lives are on the line. I have to go home. And there are police officers who are, many of which, very happy to support Christopher Schur, a known murderer. Justice for Patrick Leoya, for Breonna Taylor, and for the genocide that is going on in this country. Open air concentration camps. All right, others wish to be heard? <clears throat> Hi, Mark Beck. This is the difference between pro-life and anti-abortion. If you're pro-life, you gotta be pro-life from the womb to the tomb, and not just from the womb. Now, enough of that. I wasn't here to speak about that. That's gonna be at a later time. Um, Shreveport, Louisiana. Lonzo Backley. Shot in the back by a Shreveport police officer. from off of a routine call, wasn't armed, no warrant for his arrest, no nothing. Police officer, quote unquote, tried to save him, but he knew what he was doing, but he knew what he did. Now the Shreveport Police Department is in deep trouble. Rankin County, Mississippi. Two unarmed black men had their house raided by sheriff's deputies, beaten, sprayed, zapped, waterboarded. And the coup de gras. One of them had a, a one. There's one of them had the cop's pistol stuck in his mouth and opened fire 
The bullet went through the throat and landed out the side of his neck. Thankfully, he's still alive. This is what today's law enforcement is. He can't speak. He had his tongue had to get cut off. He's about to get blind. All because of bad cops and corrupt police unions. They had no warrants out for their arrest. None whatsoever. They wanted them out because they didn't like black people in their white county. Remove Jagger, who was named for the FBI building. Remove George Watts' name from the town of Mobile, Alabama, just for Patrick Leoya, Alonzo Bagley, Michael Kelly Jenkins, Recall Ronald Santos, Boycott Swanson, Spartan Strong. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. All right, others wish to be heard? Hi, I'm Andra. I'm from Grand Rapids. Um, lately, you all have been encouraging residents to apply to the boards and committees and to get involved. I happen to live right on the city line. If you type my address into your GPS, it'll say Grand Rapids, but my zip code is Kentwood. I live about seven miles away from here, but I was told last year when I applied, I can't serve because I am not a city resident. But your directors can live all the way in Muskegon, which is an hour away and not even Kent County. Even though I now live in Kentwood, I come here for my black and brown friends, my trans friends, my unhoused friends, and for working class people like myself who still struggle, who struggle just to survive, who keep going to work every day, but wonder why they even do it. Since they're playing a game, they know they cannot win. Like I recently got a 50 cent raise but found out two weeks later my rent was going to increase by $100 a month. It seems like I'm always taking one step forward and two steps back. People like you sit up here and play Russian roulette with all of our lives when Mark Washington's salary is near seven times my salary and you do not face the same reality we all face. You keep taking more from us to give to yourselves and your rich friends. The following quote by Eugene Depp sums up my perspective. I am opposing a social order in which it is possible for one man who does absolutely nothing that is useful to amass a fortune of hundreds of millions of dollars while millions of men and women who work all the days of their lives secure barely enough for a wretched existence. I don't know what the agenda items are this week, but I can assure you none of this is as grave as your real agenda that isn't written on paper, and that is gentrification. I've been watching as you fund millions of dollars to big developers who keep putting up apartments that aren't affordable. 80% AMI, 1400 for studio apartments. What about displaced families? What about children? 
Nothing you write on paper means anything to me anymore. I've only been civically involved here since 2020, but I haven't seen you put any action into affordable housing. None whatsoever. But as long as it looks good on paper. I don't have anything written down, so I'm going to wing it again. <coughs> Bill Breaker. Um, just a little bit more about me. I grew up in Grand Rapids. I was born and raised, went to Ottawa Hills High School. And so I'm very familiar with the city. And I watched it change my entire life. Um, earlier, I spoke about lead. And I am 100% for a lead-free environment for all people, all ages. Okay? The key thing is to do it intelligently. As a scientist, I heard people tonight say, let's go test it. Absolutely. Run a pilot program. See how it works before you jump in and make it the real thing. Um, spending a few hundred dollars to make sure our apartments are lead free, I don't have a problem with that. So I just want to encourage, take your time, think it through, and Hopefully at the end, the pilot program will work and everybody will be happy about it. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. All right, I'm going to close that public comment period and I will turn to my colleagues and I will start down here with Commissioner Knight. Uh, thank you, uh, Mayor, and thank you uh, to everyone who came and shared their heart um, tonight. Um, definitely a lot of the um, comments resonated with me and, and I struggle. Um, I have an, a nephew uh, who was poisoned by lead when he was a child and as an adult still is very, very, very low functioning. Uh, having been a mother, still a mother, um, <laughs> of grown children, but having to worry uh, when I lived in low-income housing uh, when I was younger, moving from home to home and worrying about their health, um, it's, it's, it's difficult for me. Um, and I understand the impact of cost, um, but it, it's, it's also difficult for me to put anything before um, our children's health and well-being. Um, however, I have stated before, as we've been through this discussion, um, particularly around lead, that um, we need to look at both sides and figure out how we can um, work together to create safe solutions for our families and for our children that are impacted. Um, I appreciate the gentleman that uh, just came up again and uh, said, hey, let's do a pilot. Listen, there are a number of ways that we can go about it. We don't have to rush into this. However, we do need to do something. And even though the situation may be changing, it's not changing quick enough, and children are still being impacted, and it's impacting our future because they are the future. They are the ones that are going to change the systems in this community for the future and do things. But if they can't function, they can't do those things. Um, so uh, I, I'm looking forward to um, figuring out how we can make this happen. Um, everybody is not going to be happy, um, but we need to work together to be begin to create real lasting, impactful change uh, for our families. I have 13 grandchildren. My concern is for them. 
right? Um, and I think there's ways that we can do that. We can be very creative, as was stated with Marcel. There's a lot of really creative ways to do things. It takes all the minds and it takes all the voices to be in the room to hear those things. Um, and sometimes we may have to give up a little bit to do that. Uh, but I think our future is worth it. And I'm willing to invest in that. Um, I, I really appreciate uh, the heartfelt comments uh, of everyone in the room tonight. I also encourage you to still be a part of the change um, and to step up and put your money where your mouth is. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Robbins? Yeah, thank you, Mayor. Um, uh, thank you, everyone who came out tonight. Um, I, I really appreciate just the thoughtful dialogue. Um, I mean, everybody who came up to the podium tonight, I can tell there was just thought behind what you were saying. Um, I, and I just want to commend everyone in saying we're all on the same team when it comes to these issues. I mean, we all want what's best for the children. We all want an environment that's safe and clean for them to grow up in. Um, and, and while, you know, there might be some discussion about how we proceed with that issue and, and what's best for the community, um, I do think it's important that we, we remember that we're still united with, um, with that end goal at the end of the day. So um, thank you for your dialogue around this issue. I think we all have a lot to digest and discuss um, in how to proceed, but, um, but it all is a part of this process. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Commissioner Moody? Okay, thanks. Commissioner O'Connor? All right, Commissioner Isasi? Thank you, Mayor. Um, so we've had a full day today. Um, one of the highlights was were all the updates that we received. Um, but I want to say kudos to the many volunteers and the planning team led by um, Ms. Kristen Turkelson for a really excellent launch party tonight in the second ward. There was a lot of, anytime you get competition going, I think people get excited. So I hope, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I keep getting alerts about the weather. But um, I want to say um, thank you to all the neighbors that came out tonight and the volunteers who made that um, event possible. I was going to read something long tonight. I'm not going to read it, colleagues. But I want to point you to a Wood TV 8 story that came out on February 19th. Um, we've heard some stories about how we're celebrating individuals in our community with the hearing for Pastor McMurray. Um, but this, this story is about um, housing in this community, and it highlights the work of the founders of the Auburn Hills Land Development Company. Um, and so it was a really in-depth story, which sometimes we don't get to see. Um, this is not very far from where I live, but was that first move of four uh, black individuals who wanted to create a space outside of what was typically called the Black Belt here in Grand Rapids and housing. So I could read this very long article, but I encourage those who are looking for ways to celebrate, celebrate black history, to understand the history specifically in Grand Rapids, to take a look at this Wood TV article. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for pointing out. Uh, it was a great article. Thanks. Commissioner Purdue. Yeah, good evening, everyone. Uh, just also want to express my appreciation for everyone who um, shared either leading up tonight your perspective on some of the <clears throat> issues, many of the issues, but particularly around the proposed lead ordinance and people who came tonight in person. Um, we all know that we need to ensure the safety, the health and safety of all residents, particularly children who are one of our most vulnerable. Um, and I heard tonight over and over the pain um, associated with this issue. Those who experience it firsthand uh, with a family member, those of us just kind of in community seeing uh, that issue. And it really also highlighted um, the way 
this problem intersects with so many others. We talked about health, we talked about poverty, we talked about housing. Um, and so it really, I think, is a, a, a sad but real illustration of all that we are uh, navigating through. Um, what I am excited about is that we are doing that together. Tonight, I think, was a great show of how democracy works. We say, hey, we know we have a, we know th this is where we all agree we need to do something. This is the problem. Here's a proposed solution. What do you all think? And I heard across the board tonight and leading up to tonight some really valid insight, perspective, questions that still need to be answered, uh, ways to, you know, um, make sure that this has the intended consequence while limiting the unintended negative consequences to really protect the health of our kids, our community, and our future, because this really is a short term, sorry, a long term um, issue. So wanted to express my appreciation to you all for co-creating with us um, and helping us think through the actions that we might be able to take on this issue and so many others. Um, so that's where I'll leave my comments tonight. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks, Commissioner. Uh, City Clerk. Um, nothing election-related tonight or uh, clerk-related, but um, just got reported GRPS is closed tomorrow. So ah. um, everybody be safe out on the roads, roads tomorrow. A lot of school districts and stuff are going to be closed. So um, everybody be safe out there and um, make sure you make room for snowplow trucks and others that need to get salt down and, and the like. So. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Mayor. Um, continue to um, grieve with the uh, MSU community and the East Lansing community for the loss of life um, very tragically and unfortunately last week and continue to hope we can have good reform to prevent these kind of instances from happening again. Uh, I do want to expect, uh, express my appreciation to the staff for all of the work that uh, has gone on in terms of pre preparation for today's meeting, but the mid-year performance and financial update. Uh, a lot of the issues that people spoke about today were some of the topics that were discussed earlier, uh, in both in terms of um, what has been done and what more can be done to make progress on many of the issues that affect quality of life. And so I appreciate uh, the staff helping uh, this body uh, deliberate through some of those issues and look forward to the continued um, work and the policy work that comes as a result of that. Uh, regarding uh, what Joel just mentioned on the uh, snow day tomorrow for GRPS, we do have a plan, had a planned community event for the um, second meeting of the launch party for the community master plan that was planned, I think, in the first ward at uh, Union High School. And so we will, uh, in deference to their policy, close their facility, will likely reschedule that meeting uh, or have some alternate form. So um, I do want uh, to encourage everyone to continue to be safe, and but also to celebrate the uh, kickoff Tonight, again, as uh, Commissioner uh, Sassi uh, said earlier, around the community master plan discussion. Very transformational. I remember um, that being one of uh, the important things that was on the uh, my list of things to do when I first came here and saw that as a great opportunity 
for us to really define how the next 20 years, next 30 years for our community looks. And so I look forward to the continued work from that process. And what better way to punctuate um, Black History Month today with a hearing on one of the local members of our community who's done so much to advocate for the rights and uh, the inclusion of other people in Bishop McMurray. So, so glad to see us continue to move that item forward. And again, I appreciate uh, all the updates that uh, the staff provided today. Thanks, City Manager. I'll just end. Uh, thank everyone who came out, even though many of them are gone now. Uh, and just say a couple things. I, too, want to express my gratitude for the city staff. Uh, Chief uh, presented today on a lot of the work happening around public safety. Uh, and a lot of work goes on behind the scenes that people don't see. Uh, I think today was a wonderful opportunity opportunity for all of us and the public uh, to see the progress that's being made. We know it's slow. It's not as fast as we would like it to be. These are a lot of urgent issues that impact people's lives. Um, but I really appreciate everyone who continues to work so hard, even during these difficult times, to try to move forward. A lot of the goals uh, and strategies set by this elected body. So um, thank you for your work. Uh, glad to see the master plan kick off. Uh, the, the event tomorrow may be canceled, but we do have one on Thursday. So hopefully the Weather will warm up a little bit and the sun will come out and we'll be able to safely travel to that uh, third evening of master plan update, community engagement. Uh, and then I'll just end and thank everyone for coming out to talk about the um, proposed changes to our property maintenance code. I personally am very happy to find us in this place where we're talking about this and we're looking at policy changes. Uh, I've been active in this space around childhood lead poisoning for over a decade. Uh, pulled together the task force that a lot of the people who came tonight were a part of. Uh, and I'll just remind everyone that the task force that I chaired included members from RPOA as well as Healthy Homes, along with a number of other experts in the space. Uh, a couple years ago, COVID hit, kind of put a, a damper uh, in what we hoped would move forward a whole lot quicker. Uh, and then also have been partnering closely with the county. This is the, if we are truly going to prevent children from being poisoned by lead, it is a multi-jurisdictional uh, approach that we must have. We can do things, uh, but we need the health department to be allocating funds and making lead a priority around testing and treating children. We need the state. Uh, I couldn't agree more that funds should be allocated. Uh, more funds. I long have been a proponent of adding a fee to paint to create a pot of money that would pay for remediation. Uh, and maybe there's a chance now with the new uh, leadership in Lansing that we'll actually get somewhere on that. Uh, but please know that I understand this is a complex issue, but I also see that there's an opportunity for us as a city um, to be engaged and make a decision that will help us prevent children from being poisoned by lead. As a social worker, I worked with a lot of those children at the Children's Hospital, uh, and when you see firsthand the damage that it causes, all of us should be stepping up to figure out what we can do to prevent that from happening. Um, so with that, thank you all. Have a wonderful night, and uh, please drive safe tomorrow. <laughs>